Welcome to the Mile High Flight Show, where a Jets fan and a Broncos fan get together to talk about the NFL and other sports. I'm your host, Ryan Marinholtz, alongside Enrique Cisneros, and let's get right into this. How are you doing on this wonderful day, my friend? I'm doing good, Ryan. How are you, bro? I'm doing amazing, and I am super ready to get into this. We have an amazing show for you guys today. We're going to have our very first uh, guest of the Mile High Flight Show. Um, but before we get into that, obviously, we're going to go over some NFL news, as always. Uh, go through some team breakdowns. Today, it's going to be the Texans and the Jaguars. Uh, and then we'll also cover the NBA uh, playoffs again. And uh, so to start off here, our first story, the Giants releasing cornerback James Bradbury. And I think that this was something uh, everybody was expecting uh, if they couldn't get a trade done. Um, but it was just kind of one of those situations where, like, if they expected him to be released because of the cap situation, Nobody was going to pay anything for him, so this was the eventual thing that was going to happen. Yeah, I'm the the thing that I'm wondering is what do we know what really like soured with the relationship with James Bradbury and the Giants? Was, was he just trying to get a new contract? Was that the whole thing? Is that why he uh, was trying to get out of there? Yeah, I think he wanted a new contract, but he was also just being paid a lot, and the Giants are having cap issues already so he's just kind of one of those moves where uh like kind of the odd man out in a sense um and so oh, I, okay. I do think that that leaves the giants with the hole at cornerback obviously because he's a solid player i think he's only like 29 um and yeah. so he'll his services will be highly requested across the league and i i honestly expected him to get signed like very very shortly after um this happened but at least as of saturday so far it has not so uh, we'll see where he ends up landing. Uh, sounds like the Raiders are a very viable solution, but uh, yeah, dude. I, you know, speaking of the Raiders, real quick before we jump off, um, I was reading that all of their 2020 top five picks are off the roster, and yeah, like homeboys in jail. Other other dude got cut for having the gun, um, and then. I think like the others were just like cut, traded, or they just traded. Um, which, yeah, I guess spoiler, uh, they traded Brian Edwards, um, and then yeah, I think they cut the other dude. So ultimately, yeah, it's one of those things that they have needs at like the Raiders have like random needs at spots that I didn't really think because right when you uh, said the Raiders were a leading candidate to sign him, I was like. Do the Raiders need a corner? And I started thinking about it. I was like, the Raiders do need a corner, low key. So, yeah, I was uh, – the Raiders make a lot of sense plus I know Josh McDaniels, um, you know, he – James Bradbury just seems like he fits that Josh McDaniels type of role. Yeah. Um, I think he'll fit that culture nice. And so, yeah, and like we said, the Raiders, the Raiders do need a corner, so – yeah, totally agree. I, I think that that would be a solid fit for him. Obviously, as a Broncos fan, I don't really want that to happen because um, I do think that the that defensive backroom is like probably the weakness of that Raiders team, I would say. Just I, kind of the defense in general, but, you know, they have some uh, spots where they're strong uh, and cornerback is probably one of the, their weakest. So that would be a huge boost for them um, to an already solid team down there in Las Vegas. But yeah, we'll have to see how that plays out and where he uh, eventually ends up. Uh, and then for our second story here, Sony Michelle signing with the Miami Dolphins. Uh, yeah, I mean, 
he's kind of bounced around a little bit. Uh, went from the Patriots to the Rams this last year. Uh, was part of their Super Bowl run, uh, and then just didn't get resigned. And now with the Miami Dolphins, uh, solid back. He has his role. Um, so yeah, I mean, good pickup for the Miami Dolphins, and just another weapon for two out of the backfield. Yeah, that's exactly. That was the first thing that I thought as well was they're just giving him a nice, you know, pass catching yeah. uh, back, you know, to kind of go in there and change the pace up. Um, who, who's their other running back that they have right now? Do we, do you know off the top of your head? I should know off the top of my head, but is it, it's not, it's not Kenyon Drake anymore. Oh, so I think Kenny and Drake's in Arizona. Chase Edmonds. Chase Edmonds. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, Sonny Michelle will break the backfield up real nice. Um, give to another target. So what does that Miami offense look like? We got two, uh, you got, they got Raheem Mostert, um, too. Oh, nice. Nice. He came over with um, – what's his name? Uh, who's, our, who's their head coach now? What's his name? Oh, Mike McDaniels, yeah, from the 49ers. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's yeah, a yeah, solid yeah. speedster. Like, they got a decent uh, running back core right there. Chase Edmonds, Raheem Mostert, Sony Michelle, and then Miles Gaskin, too, which is – I mean, as a fourth running back, that's nothing to sneeze at for sure. No, yeah, that's a good running back room. And then they got – uh, Mike Gilsecki at tight end. They, uh, I mean, wide receivers. They got Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. Um, do they have another? Do they have another wide receiver. Uh, they have Cedric Wilson. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty. And you can pretty much consider Sony Michelle uh, a, wide right, receiver. a wide receiver. Yeah. Um, uh, River yeah. Craycraft is kind of underrated sometimes too. Yeah, I think that um, that Miami's offense looks. Looks pretty decent. Uh, yeah. We'll just have to see. Obviously, everything uh, lives and breathes through Tua, so we'll have to see um, what that what, what that eventually becomes. But yeah, nice signing by the Dolphins to add Sonny Michelle for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I mean, just kind of looking over this uh, roster here as I had to look that up, but they have you know a solid roster going. They had one for a while there, but uh, adding Tyreek Hill, adding Sony Michelle here. Um, they're really starting to put something together. And I mean, yeah, we'll talk about it more when we eventually get to the Dolphins and our team breakdowns there. But um, the Dolphins probably going to be a, a force to be reckoned with if Tua can lead them there. And I think that's the question for them at this point. So, um, but yeah, and then I guess with that, we can move on to our third story here. Uh, the Ravens signing Mike Davis to a one-year contract. Uh, he, so yeah, Mike Davis has been a solid back. Um, I believe he started with the Seahawks, was with the Falcons. Uh, I think he was with Carolina for a stint in there. Um, yeah. He's been kind of around the league. But, yeah, he's been a guy that I've always kind of had a soft spot for. And um, he's a hard runner, uh, bigger back, and uh, somebody that's going to be depth for the the Ravens, but also probably going to get, um, if not starts, at least a good amount of carries in the uh, first part of the season just because you still have – uh, J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards trying to come back from injury. Um, so I actually really like this signing. That gives both of those guys uh, more time to come back to full strength and they don't have to feel rushed, uh, especially at that running back position where it's so easy to get re-injured. Um, so, yeah, I really like that signing. Yeah, I, I thought this was a very Ravens-esque move. I thought Mike Davis was a player that should have been a Raven a long time ago. Um, yeah. But, yeah, exa- you hit it. You know, uh, 
a hammer on the nail there with uh, the Gus Edwards and the J.K. Dobbins. Uh, because, yeah, you know, you definitely need some time for those guys to come back because, um, yeah, both of them were out. Uh, what, what Both of them were out all year last year, right? They, Pretty much they, all year, yeah. Yeah, they didn't really play anything. So, yeah, and once – that's the one thing I am so, so ready to see, though, is that full roster of running backs that the Raiders – or the Raiders, the Ravens have um, be let loose with Lamar Jackson. I just think that's, that's going to be such a, like – plethora of it's just going to be really hard to stop that it's just yeah. kind of like how Tennessee has um the you know the King Henry attack like the Raven or the Ravens have such a different type of running back room and yeah I just can't wait to see those guys give me this snaps. it just really sucks that they were hurt last year yeah it, it was rough and I mean that was one of the biggest reasons of the Ravens uh struggling so hard uh I'm obviously we you know suffered a lot of different injuries across the roster, but that those running backs to your point of like being such a uh, unique offense and having so many running threats, uh, including Lamar Jackson is part of what makes that offense so special. And that's just wiped off the board essentially with those guys gone. Um, and, you know, you got some uh, decent uh, play from uh, free agents that we brought in Latavius Murray and um, oh my gosh. I hate that I can't remember his name all of a sudden. Uh, longtime Falcons running back was in the 2016. Devonta Freeman. Jeez. Oh, yeah. I was mad about that one. Um, yeah, both of those guys came in as free agents last year and provided decent enough play. But, um, yeah, you're going to see that Ravens offense definitely take a huge step up with the uh, correct guys back there. Uh, and adding another guy in Mike Davis, who he really hasn't been uh, like been, or he has been pretty consistent in terms of uh, like, I think he's had a couple injuries over his career, but he's been on the field for a lot of that time. So if he's somebody that can come in and spell, um, you know, JK Dobbins, and Gus Edwards, I mean, that's a, just an absurd amount of running talent back there. Um, and then if you can get anything going on the pass game, that just makes it that much easier. So yeah, Ravens certainly looking good there. Uh, and then moving on to a Broncos story here. Um, one that is like, I, I debated even bringing it up because I don't love talking about this kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, we're a part Broncos show, so I felt like we at least need to address it. Uh, Jerry Judy getting uh, got arrested on criminal tampering charges uh, earlier this week. And so my understanding of the situation is essentially like the girlfriend took his phone they were like in a verbal argument and she came out after the fact and said that no physical violence was threatened he was not a threat it was strictly verbal and strictly uh as far as like property so she took his phone and in retaliation he took like some papers or some sort of like records or something um and then uh i think like a car seat and a couple of things and locked it in his car. And then she went and called the police from a neighbor's house. And at that point he was arrested. So then he gets charged with criminal tampering, uh, which has a domestic violence tag on it. And so everybody's like, Oh my God, he's a domestic violence. Like he's hitting his wife and all that. And it's like, there's a little bit more nuance to that. Obviously you don't want to see this happening at all. Um, but my understanding of the situation is that, there's no physical uh, violence threatened. She's not like, she wants to drop all charges. She wants 
like she didn't even want him to be arrested but the um way that they are supposed to the police are supposed to approach the situation by the book is to take him in for a night keep him in um jail for a night and and all that and you got to go through the process so you know it kind of just is what it is he's already out on bond um and it sounds like the expectation is that the charges will be dropped like asap um but yeah you never want to see this kind of stuff uh hope that he can move on from this and uh not have this kind of thing happen again yeah absolutely well and i didn't really know a lot about it because i figured that one you were going to dive into it on the show so I wanted to have like a genuine reaction to it. So I didn't really look into it. Plus, I, I mean, if I'm being honest with you, I didn't, I was just really crossing my fingers that it wasn't going to be anything serious. It wasn't going to be anything that he was going to, you know, get in trouble for. Yeah. Sounds like, it sounds like an argument that got real heated. You know, everyone's been there. Everyone's done that. Nobody's perfect. I'm just glad he's good. I'm glad she's good. And exactly. uh, we can just get, we could get uh, Jerry Judy back focused on, um, playing ball with Russell Wilson because I was like no we can't have this for the Broncos right now like we can't have Jerry Judy getting suspended for six games because he you know you know did something along the lines of like Ray Rice or something so um I was I was very very happy that you know Jerry Judy you know is you know going to be uh charges going to be dropped going to be cleared um you know just sounds like something that got out of hand so yeah, very, very, very relieved to hear that everything's good um, with Jerry because Broncos need him, man, and I need him to step up for sure because this is going to be a breakout year for him. Um, he's primed to bust out with Russ throwing him the ball now. So, yeah, the Broncos need him on the field. Yeah, no, I totally agreed. And, I mean, that's a great point that you made is, like, not only would it have been bad timing – for i mean obviously it sucks to talk about the football aspect of a real life situation but you know he is a football player so the consequences come into it and it's like that would be a bad situation for the team just because of the um season you're going into you got this brand new quarterback and all that but specifically for him in his career trajectory he struggled to break out despite being a very talented uh wide receiver and just has not had the quarterback play to take him to the next level and uh, help him out and he finally has that and this just wouldn't have been the worst time um for a long-term sort of thing to happen but um yeah as you said luckily uh sounds like it was uh not as severe as we were initially um thinking it could have been and yeah it's yet to be seen if the nfl decides to uh suspend him i i would imagine because of the low severity of it that it's probably just not going to be a thing but you never know with yeah. the NFL. They like to make examples out of the smallest things sometimes. So um, we'll just have to see uh, in the next couple of weeks if they bring anything on. Or, but, yeah, I uh, figured we could certainly address that. And, um, yeah. And then our next story here, uh, the Raiders, as we kind of mentioned a little bit earlier, trading for Brian Edwards in a 2023 seventh – I'm sorry – the Raiders trade Brian Edwards and a 2023 seventh round pick to the Atlanta Falcons for a 2023 fifth round pick. So, yeah, I mean, Raiders getting a fifth round pick back and a, they have to send over a seventh with uh, Brian Edwards. That's not a very good value to me for Brian Edwards. I, I think maybe I'm a little bit higher on Brian Edwards than some other people after seeing uh, some of the reaction around the league. But like I feel like that was a solid 
weapon for that Raiders offense um, and a fifth round pick back for him. They like I, probably could have got more than that, especially having to send a seventh alongside it. Yeah, I, I think for the Falcons, this was a sneaky good move because I, I agree. I'm yeah. a little bit higher on Brian Edwards than um, than I guess. I guess maybe it's just a me and you thing. But um, yeah, like I, I was like, that's a nice that's a nice pickup because it gives you a veteran wide receiver that has potential that just hasn't necessarily been fully unlocked. Obviously, I'm not saying that, you know, um, Marcus Mariota is better than Derek Carr. Um, but Marcus Mariota was with Brian Edwards last year in Vegas. So they already have some sort of rapport. Um, you know, you can bring him right in. He can, you know, That's uh, true. be he can be Mariota's like go-to guy in a sense until uh, Mariota builds up that rapport with Pitts and with um, Drake London. Obvi- honestly, I'm not – I was so down on the Falcons offense, so down, even after Drake London. Uh, yeah. But suddenly – yeah. suddenly I'm not as down on them anymore. Like you start you, you start know, counting out those players and you're like, huh, you got Brian Edwards, you got Drake London, you got uh freaking Pitts, Calvary. and then you got uh uh Cordero Patterson too. Like yep. they, oh, they have players, dude. Like and if Mariota can at least be decent, you know, I, I'm kind of um, interested to see how he does after sitting uh, with the Raiders for a few years and like, cause I, I don't think that he's untalented. He just really struggled with the Titans uh, made too many mistakes. And if you can clean it up a little bit, he's got the athleticism to make it work. Um, so I, I'm kind of excited to see how the Falcons can come out this year and uh, see if they can, uh, you know, sneak a few more wins in there than we were initially thinking. Cause I, I have the same train of thought as like, this offseason, I've kind of just been like, okay, the Falcons are probably going to be one of those bottom barrel teams this year. You know what I mean? But then you start right. to look at what they've pieced together throughout the offseason um, and some of the moves they've made, and it's not looking as bad. Um, so, yeah, I mean, well, granted, for a chunk of the offseason, they still had Matt Ryan, but, you know, especially right. after all of that happened, you're, you have Mariota now. Um, but you've, from the time, like right before the draft to now, you went from having a completely empty wide receiver core to Drake London and Brian Edwards, which is a solid duo in on paper, at least. Right. And then let me say one thing real quick before we move on about the Raiders. Um, what's, what's that wide receiver room look like now? I, obviously you got Devante. That's, that's obviously the big dog in there. Yeah, you, got Hunter Renfro. Renfro. you got Hunter Renfro. But then after Hunter, what, what do we got? I guess my my questioning is is obviously Josh McDaniels is going to take a lot of that stuff that he used in New England and bring it down to Vegas. But is their system just more reliant on two big wide receivers in the sense of because like the Jets use all their wide receivers. You know, like there's just certain teams that use all their wide receivers. Like, you know, the fourth and fifth guy are getting meaningful, meaningful snaps. They're getting yeah. looks. Um, is the is the Josh McDaniels way going to obviously focus hugely on Renfro and Adams? Uh, and they felt like Brian Edwards was worth getting because they just lost on a trade. Um, so so obviously that it's just like they were just okay with getting rid of him in the sense of – and maybe there's something else going on with Brian Edwards that 
the Vegas Raiders know about that uh, we don't. But from like they lost Dave Jones, they lost Brian Edwards. Um, you know, the I, I don't necessarily besides Devontae Adams, I can't remember if they've signed a wide receiver. Um, you know, obviously there's still guys that are still out there, but I just don't know what that depth looks like after Adams and Renfro. Yeah, yeah. So I got it pulled up here. And I mean, they I would say they would definitely, in my opinion, like the departure of Brian Edwards, especially after uh, Zay Jones leaves in free agency to the Jaguars as well, is like there's a hole there for sure um, that you could fill. But looking at that roster, too, in, in terms of threats, you know what I mean? You still have Josh Jacobs coming out of the running back room. Um, you have Devonte Adams. You have Hunter Renfro. You have Keelan Cole as well. Um, a few other players, uh, but that, those are Waller. the big names at least. And then, yeah, exactly. Darren Waller at the tight end spot. You have Foster Moreau too, who has kind of started to come on a little more solid. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they're not hurting certainly, but I do think that that offense looks much better with Brian Edwards. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I do wonder, like you said, is uh, was there um, behind the scenes, like relationship issues, like maybe he doesn't fit into what McDaniels is trying to do. And so this is something that after he came in, uh, they kind of discovered they're like, okay, this is not going to be a fit. So he needs to go somewhere else. Um, so, yeah, I mean, kind of wonder about that, but uh, to me, you know, I like, unless there's something like that, I don't really understand this move for the Raiders. Um, Cause I don't think that a fifth round pick uh, in return for Brian Edwards and a seventh is super good value. I, I honestly, I'm not gonna lie. I think Brian Edwards is gonna tear it up in Atlanta with Mariota. Like, I I think that's yeah. gonna be a random duo. That it's gonna be like one of those meme duos, like one of the best duos ever. Like Brian Edwards and Marcus Mariota after they played together for the Raiders. Like, because I'm telling you, I just think there's gonna be some sort of hit, hidden chemistry because they probably played a lot of meaningful snaps in practice together too. Being um, Mariota being longer. backing up Derek Carr, and then yeah, Edwards no on the depth there. So, dude, I'm telling you, Brian Edwards come back player of the year. Yeah, no, I, I really like that point that you brought up. Um, is like because so that's not really something that I actually considered all that much uh, before you had said it was the the fact that um, he probably did share a lot of snaps on that Raiders roster with Marietta, and they do have that chemistry. So. Uh, that move makes sense on multiple levels for the Falcons, um, both just on the value for Edwards as a wide receiver, but then also the chemistry with your current uh, starting quarterback. So, yeah, we'll have to see how that uh, goes down with the Falcons. All right. And then our last move of the day here, Jarvis Landry signing with the New Orleans Saints. And I, I got to say, I love this move. I absolutely love this move. I wanted him to be a Raven, obviously, but uh, you can't be mad about an LSU Tiger coming home to New Orleans. And, yeah, that receiving core is going to be outrageous now. You got Michael Thomas coming back with Chris Olave, Jarvis Landry. You got Teron Matthew, another LSU Tiger that just came home. Um, yeah, I mean, those New Orleans Saints are starting to look pretty fierce, and we're just going to have to see what uh, Jameis can do with those wide receivers. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think – the more the Saints do stuff like this and the more you start looking at their roster, the more they, like, fight my narrative on them being, um, like, rebuilding. But, you know, we'll just have to see. Um, 
you know, I know last week we couldn't remember the the safety that they had um, that they had took in uh, or that they had uh, signed in free agency, but it was uh, it was Marcus May from the Jets. So they got yeah. Marcus May, Tyron Matthew. Um, you know, they they got they got tons of pieces, and then obviously they're setting Jameis up to have a uh, make or break um, season for sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, and I'm I'm not even gonna lie to you. When I was at work uh, earlier this week, I think it was like Thursday or something. I was just walking around like like I usually do. I'll be working and uh, listening to different podcasts or whatever, and thinking about different stuff. And um, I remembered that moment, and something just popped into my head. I don't know why why it popped into my head, but I was like, it was Marcus May that safety that we could remember, and that just killed me out of nowhere, like eyes wide open. I was like, how did we not remember that between the two of us? Because I know we're both fans of Marcus May, but like that was bothering you. I had to bring that up at some point, but you got to it, and um, yeah, I mean that's a, a good safety duo though there for sure. You talk about Marcus May grown into one of the best safeties in the NFL alongside Teron Matthew. They got uh, Daniel Sorensen sneaking around there, which I didn't even know was on the roster. Like he's just chilling. And I mean, you know, some people say he's not amazing. I know Teron Matthew, like there's the memes of him being annoyed with Daniel Sorensen messing up coverage or whatever. Um, But he's a solid starter. And for that to be one of your kind of nickel guys and depth safeties, um, you know, like the New Orleans, especially on the defensive side, are looking fierce. Um, and then on the offensive side, obviously, you talk about Jarvis Landry, all those guys. Um, and, I mean, I, you got Kamara, too. Like, it all hinges on Jameis Winston and whether or not he can come up with – is he going to come up with another 30-touchdown, 30 30-interception 30 season, or can he clean up some of those uh, turnovers – um, and that's going to be the difference between the Northern Saints being a contender this year or not. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And a lot of people, you know, forget that Jarvis Landry was Baker's top top uh, target in Cleveland. And that was with Odell there. That was with Odell. That was with David yeah. and Jabo. That was with all the guys that they had there. Um, you know, Jarvis Landry was still his top target. And uh, another thing that Jameis has to his advantage, too, is the Saints have a really good offensive line. They have a really, really solid offensive line. Um, they have a really stingy defense to, you know, get the ball back for them and keep them in good positions on the field. So, yeah, you know, it's all going to be on Jameis. And, um, you know, it's all going to be on Jameis and Kevin James because Kevin James is the new Saints coach in that fucking movie that they have on Netflix or on Hulu. <laughs> Trying to be Sean Payton. Yeah, so it's all on James Winston and Kevin James. But, um, yeah, good for Jarvis. Good for Jarvis, I agree. And, uh, yeah, good signing for the New Orleans Saints. Can't be mad at that one at all. Um, so with that, we can go ahead and move on to our team breakdowns this week. And our first team here is going to be the Texans, and I will go ahead and hand it off to Enrique. Awesome. Thank you, sir. So the Texans are a team that we kind of looked at, you know, um, a little bit before the draft. But, you know, as we're going through all the NFL teams in our lead up to the NFL uh, season kickoff, um, you know, we want to go back over. them. So the Texans are breaking down with their head coach being Levy Smith and their GM being Nick Casario. 
Um, their 2021 record is four and 13. Uh, my record prediction for the 2022 season is going to be two and 15. Um, a couple key games that I have for them are going to be the New York Giants and the Chicago Bears. And the reason why those are my key games for the Houston Texans are because those are the only games that I think are winnable for the Houston Texans. And that's the that's depending on how you see the Jacksonville series going. Um, you know, obviously Jacksonville, you know, is a very bad team in its own rights. But in my opinion, um, I think Jacksonville has a bit more talent um, as far as throughout the whole roster. Um, I think their quarterback's better. And I think if you have a better quarterback, a little bit more talent on the roster, the Jags, uh, the Jags should be able to win, depending on the, uh, the home field advantage. Um, I mean, the Texans' um, schedule is, you know, murderer's row, if I'm being honest with you, because not only has their division gotten much better with – Matt Ryan going to the Colts. Um, the Titans have been the Titans the last few years. And they, they have some questions as well with A.J. Brown leaving town. Um, you know, maybe we're not going to see such a balanced uh, offensive attack from the Titans, but they still got King Henry. Um, and then, like we just talked about the Jags, and we'll talk about the Jags. Well, Ryan will talk more about the Jags later. Um, but otherwise, at home, they got the Chiefs, the Chargers, the Eagles, the Browns, the Commanders. Um, there's no way, you know, I see the Houston Texans beating the Chiefs or the Chargers. Um, the Eagles, I guess, on a real bad Jalen Hurts day, maybe. But uh, even then, I don't see it happening. Um, the Cleveland Browns, depending on Deshaun Watson. But even if Baker's getting the start, still think that Baker has enough to get it done. Um, and then the commanders, um, the commanders are real questionable just because Carson wins. But I still think that defense is so, so good um, with Chase Young and the guys over there that um, I just can't imagine. I can't imagine Carson Wentz being so bad that the, you know, four and 13 Texans take him out. Um, and then away games still got, you know, the, the obviously the divisional matchups. But then you have the Dallas Cowboys, the Denver Broncos. Um, like I said, the Bears, they have the Miami Dolphins, New York Giants, and the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, yeah, I don't I don't think there's too many people that, that can say that they believe that the Texans are going to be any of those teams besides the Bears and the Giants, maybe. Um, yeah, I mean, the Broncos with Russell Wilson, the Cowboys, um, you know, the Cowboys could honestly lose to the Texans. And the only reason I say that is because sometimes the Cowboys just literally lose like a random throwaway game to like a non-contending team. Like they lost to the Jets a couple years ago. Um, I think they lost to the Bears a year ago or something like that. So they lost to the Broncos that one time when the Broncos were like relatively bad. Was that last year or something? Um, yeah. So, yeah. And then. Uh, New Look Dolphins don't see it happening. New Look Raiders don't see it happening. Um, but this is a Houston Texans team that is starting to get talent throughout the roster. Um, you know, I was relatively iffy on this year's draft class for them um, just because I kind of felt that, you know, maybe there was a different pick um, at three that they could have made um, instead of Derek Stanley Jr. Um, but with them getting Kenyon Green uh, with their second first round pick, uh, I, I feel like that kind of sweetened it up for me because not only are you getting the second best corner in the draft, uh, second behind 
Mr. Sauce Gardner of the New York Jets. But you're getting so you're getting the second best corner, blue chip talent, regardless. Um, and you're getting arguably the best interior offensive lineman in the draft. Um, so I think that makes the Stingley pick look a little bit better. Um, and then, I mean, you still got Laramie Tunsil on the team. You still got Kenyon Green, um, you know, that's going to be on the offensive line with him. Um, obviously, you got Davis Mills, who we're going to be – wondering about as far as their quarterback goes but you know as far as running backs like low-key they have they have a few they have a few weapons I know that they're going to be looking at Damian Pierce to take a lot of snaps in that running back room um, but they just signed Marlon Mack you know so I could see you know Damian Pierce and Marlon Mack uh, splitting um, like reps as the lead back with David Johnson you know coming in behind them but it's going to be kind of depending on how Marlon Mack looks because Marlon Mack hasn't played in two years. Um, And then obviously as far as wide receivers go, they got Brandon cooks and they got the 44th overall pick John Menchie, the third, which I love, obviously he's a Bama boy. Um, You know, I root for Bama. Um, I don't don't want to, I don't want that to sound like Bama's my team, but I root for Bama (laughs) sparring. Um, but John Menchie's a great, great wide receiver. I saw a lot of great, um, great intrigue, and uh, he's a great prospect to come into the league. Um, obviously, he had an injury in college, but I'm hoping that he'll be able to uh, give us some meaningful reps this year for the Houston Texans. Um, so some things that I'm wondering about the Texans themselves are how good of a coach is Lovey Smith in regards to – can he up coach a very uh, talent devoid roster? And, you know, we've seen Lovey work with some troublesome rosters before. I don't think he's worked with anything quite necessarily this bad. Um, you know, so we're going to have to see if the culture change, the coaching change, the, you know, staff change um, from David Coley's staff to Lovey Smith's staff. And I know Lovey was there. But um, just switching over fully, we're going to have to see how that changes on Davis Mills. Um, you know, we're going to have to see how some of these other key pieces fit into um, the Texans team. Um, and this is going to be the year that we find out if Davis Mills is their franchise quarterback or if he's more of a stopgap quarterback. Um, one thing that I think me and you can both agree on is that the Houston Texans are filling out their roster to kind of give him a – better uh, starting point, you know, uh, much better than quarterbacks in the past get treated. And if I'm being honest with you, this is the the right approach for the Texans because I don't necessarily believe that Davis Mills is the guy, uh, but you're kind of in a situation where you have to see whether he is or not. Um, I think he has enough talent to deserve that opportunity. Um, He has enough intrigue to deserve that opportunity. Um, So, this is going to be a Davis year, a Davis Mills make or break year for sure. And then something that I would probably say uh, to watch going into uh, the summer and into training camp is, like I said, that running back uh, position. Uh, like I said, I, I think it's probably going to be Damian Pierce and Marlon Mack leading that. But, you know, David Johnson is David Johnson. They gave up DeAndre Hopkins and the rest of the world for him. So, obviously, you know, he has some sort of talents. Um 
obviously he has his injury concerns, um, but and I don't necessarily think that he has the same spark, but he still is on the roster. Um, and he has made plays before. He has he has a few plays a season. Um, and I'm not a super Houston Texans fan. We'll talk to one later. But, um, you know, I, I would imagine that they've seen enough out of um, David Johnson to keep him on the roster to at least battle for a position. And if not, it gives him, you know, a change of pace back, um, you know, between Mac and Damian Pierce. So, yeah, I mean, I would say that uh, in general, I think the Texans are going to face some challenges this year. Um, if you're a Texans fan, I would imagine it's going to be kind of hard to watch, similar to last year. Um, but depending on how you see that Jacksonville series going, uh, depending on how the Titans um, play, because sometimes I feel like the Titans play down to the Texans. And um, I want to say the Texans even beat them last year. So, you know, the the Texans could pull out some sneaky wins. You know, anything's possible on Sunday. But ultimately, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. I don't know, Ryan. What do you think about the Texans? Is there anything that you want to add to it? Yeah, no, I, I agree pretty much everything that you went across there. I, I think that this is a roster that, like, you've got some pieces that you're starting to build. Um, I think Nick Casario has done a good job so far of – uh, building and surrounding, or I, first of all, identifying Davis Mills, um, seeing his progression and giving him this opportunity um, to have this uh, second year unobstructed. They didn't go out and draft another quarterback. They built around him um, or are starting to build around him, I should say. And so we're going to see what he can do this year. Um, and I like that they're giving him that opportunity, like you uh, mentioned. And um, But as far as this year, I just don't think that there's enough talent on the roster um, that they're going to be able to make a whole lot of noise. Um, and I think that they do have a really tough schedule as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I pretty much agree with your uh, record predictions. I think there's a couple games in there that you, you're like, eh, depends on how the other team comes out. And if the Texans can have a good game, that could go the other way, you know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think somewhere between two to four wins seems pretty reasonable. Um, and yeah, I mean, as far as, uh, some of those key questions, uh, Lovey Smith, um, you know, we're just going to have to see, uh, I think like, uh, there was some people questioning, uh, how quickly they moved from, uh, off of David Coley. Some people, uh, do not, and, uh, they're, are happy with this move to Lovey Smith. Um, so, and we're just going to have to see, uh, what he can do with that. Lovey Smith, obviously a very respected coach across the league. Um, has a history of being a head coach as well. So he offers that experience and that stability. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, that's one you're just going to have to wait and see how that turns out. Uh, you can question the process all you want, but uh, yeah. And then Davis Mills, another one of those wait and see. Uh, and uh, this is going to be his year. I don't, I don't think that they'd give him another year after this one. I think they give him this year either he shows without a doubt that you have to commit to me because I'm playing so well, um, or he shows without a doubt that I'm not playing well enough. Um, so yeah. And then, uh, I mean, I think that's pretty much it on the Texans I, with the running back battle. I guess I did want to mention to Marlon Mack, I've kind of had a soft spot for when he was over with the Colts, but um, he really uh, has not stayed on the field as much as you would hope. Um, so I think between him and Damian Pierce, uh, you have two younger-ish guys uh, in Mac's case. 
um, that are probably going to want to prove it and get an opportunity to be that lead back. I don't think Mac really ever uh, got an opportunity to be the unquestioned lead back uh, with the Colts, um, at least for an extended period of time. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm sure he's probably going to want to come back with a vengeance. I think David Johnson's just too old at this point. Um, he's, I, I think he's in a good situation where you can go between Mac and Pierce and have Johnson as a spell back. And maybe that's what you want out of him at this point in his career. Um, and just give a little extra punch and keep him fresh. Um, but yeah, I definitely view him as the third best back in that room, uh, or not, I guess not third best back, but third back for how they're probably going to end up using them realistically speaking. Yeah, absolutely. And another thing, dude, that I'll have to give a little credit and tip my hat, uh, hat off to Davis Mills is um, he had that Deshaun Watson shit to deal with too. You know, like mm-hmm. he, he, he was just a part of that just as much as everyone else. And even more so like, you know, when you're looked at by the fans, I was like, I mean, he's kind of propped up just as much as David Coley was to be the fill-in for Deshaun Watson, you know, like trying to get us through here. We're going to see what happens with Deshaun and then Deshaun's gone. And now he finally can breathe a little bit. And, you know, and even more so, I agree with you when you're saying that this is the only year they're going to give him in regards to him being the unquestioned starter next year, next year, he's going to have competition. And I would imagine it's probably going to be – it's going to look like someone um, – a relatively high draft pick depending on how he plays this year. Exactly. So, you know, he can really dispel a lot of that stuff. And honestly, he can, you know, literally take his fate into his own hands because if he wins games, then the Texans are going to be out of the running for a Bryce Young or a C.J. Stroud or anyone in regards to, like, one of the top two quarterbacks. Um you know, they'll have to take someone down or they'll have to move up or, you know, maybe they, uh, maybe they go trade for Baker Mayfield. I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's very true. Or, uh, he could get released eventually and Texans might be in the running there. And yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you though. And I love that point that you brought up that he essentially can choose his fate. Uh, if he can win some games and get them out of the running for one of those top tier quarterbacks, I mean, you know, that's a win-win situation. The Texans have their quarterback and Davis Mills, avoid getting replaced. Um, and I think that's pretty good motivation if you ask me. So yeah, we'll just have to see how that plays out, but, uh, certainly some light at the end of the tunnel for the Texans there. Um, and then, so with that, we're going to actually move on to our next section where we wanted to bring on a fan of the Texans and a friend of the show, Gene. Uh, so we'll go ahead and get you guys over to that right now. Hi there, Gene. How's it going? It's going great. How you doing? Pretty good. We're really excited to talk to you. I'm excited. Gene, what's up? What's going on, buddy? Nice to see you, my friend. Thanks for coming on, dude. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I know it's here. You, I got the video on my side. You see what I'm sporting here? I know you're repping those Astros. Yeah, I know. I know. You know, I was in New York uh, a week and a half ago, and I considered actually wearing the Astros hat down there in, uh, in Times Square just to see if I could get a rise out of those Yankee fans. Oh yeah, I don't know, Gene. That might have been dangerous. The that's that's too deep in the territory, my friend. It could have been, but you know, it it, it was almost worth it. It was almost worth it to try it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I understand. I understand. Next time. Well, hey man, I, I guess we can go ahead and just get right into it. And we had a few questions for you about the Texans and um, yeah. 
So to start off, obviously the biggest story of your guys' offseason has been Deshaun Watson and the whole saga finally coming to an end, finally eventually getting traded uh, to the Cleveland Browns. And uh, I want to ask you some of your thoughts on that trade and then if you guys thought that the uh, Texans got enough in return. Uh, well, you know what's funny about that? I, I have a personal personal take on that. There, I, I've got two trains of thought on that. Um, let me start off by saying my, my brother-in-law is a Cleveland Browns fan. So uh, he actually lives in Ohio. So I find that that portion of it really, really hilarious. Um, <laughs> I can't wait to see um, how that unfolds up there. Because, you know, typically the Browns are, uh, they're, they're one of those storied franchises. You know, once you get past the years of the, the cardiac kids back in the 80s, um, they've just been in utter turmoil for decades and how, I mean how many how many players have, have gone to the Browns and ultimately their careers just kind of uh, just spiraled around and, and out um, yeah. but uh, they've you know they've, they've made some really good moves over the last the last couple of years and they they've gotten better um, as far as Deshaun Watson goes um, uh, you know, if he plays, I mean, I, uh, he uh, they they've got a real chance. Um, Deshaun, for as a as a, a Houstonian and a Houston Texans fan, <clears throat> Deshaun Watson is a. And I'm not alone in this because um, there's there's a lot of a lot of Houstonians, a lot of Houston fans, and stuff that I've talked to where he he represents just the you've got two thoughts on him basically you know you waited a decade and a half to get a franchise quarterback and uh you finally get him and um you the, the case could be made there that a lot of the problems and, and never being able to get over the hump could fall at the feet of bill o'brien um but the way that he ultimately went out also is one of the it it, it getting him was one of the, the most exciting moments in franchise history for us and losing him was the way, the way that all of that went out at the very end was just one of the most disappointing things ever. Um, and I'll tell you the reason why it, it, you know, legal stuff aside, um, I have a feeling that the, the NFL is actually going to look into the way that Deshaun Watson used the no trade clause um, I think that he he used it in a way that it was never intended. And um, one of the things that he could have done is, you know, you know, one of the big things that, that he was he was complaining about was the the way that the organization was was being run from the inside out Too many, You know, you heard him say over and again, there's people in the organization that feel like that they had too much power. We all in Houston, everybody knows that he's talking about Jack Easterby, um, which that's been a, a, a huge bone of contention. There were a lot of people that we lost, um, you know, ever since Jack Easterby came into the room. Um, DeAndre, DeAndre Hopkins, first one, um, didn't get along with him. J.J. Uh, Watt obviously wanted out after all that because of, of what was going on internally. And then Deshaun Watson how do you how do you kind of um, sign the size of contract that he signed with with all of the uh, you know the the tears and the uh, and the just being so grateful to the organization and then five months later um, without even setting foot on the field at that point uh, just completely change your mind and not use your position um, in order to better the organization instead of just you know basically starting a trend of holding the organization hostage. 
Um, and that's yeah. where we've been. That's where we've been for the past couple of years. And I think that he used the no trade clause in a way that um, uh, hamstrung the organization of being able to move on from him, force the organization to pay him. Basically, now the organization could have could have fined him, but um, you know it, it poses a question there: who's the bad guy? Who's the good guy? And who's the bad guy in that organization? In in that situation, rather. Um, so I'm, I'm expecting that the NFL is going to take a look at um, coming up with something along the lines to where the second, maybe the second that a, if a, a, a player has a no trade clause in their contract and uh, the second that a player requests the trade, then the no trade clause becomes null and void. And then um, a player can move on to where, you know, if, if, if it's meant, it's put there to protect the player from being forced out and moved to a place that they don't want to go, but it's not meant to you to be used as leverage. And, um, I think that that, I think that's, a that's going to be one of those things that they're going to look at going forward. Um, it's disappointing losing him. Um, you know, the, the Texans are now going to be, they're going to be set back for quite a while. Um, we have Davis mills right now, which I, I know we'll get to here in a few minutes. Um, there's a lot of unknowns there. Um, and we feel like we had it. You know, we had the brass, you know, we were finally had the brass ring. I mean, look at that, that um, playoff game that the Texans had against the Chiefs where they were up 24 points on them. And uh, yeah. Bill O'Brien's terrible coaching and terrible decision making. You know, you can make a you can make a case for the fact that the Texans probably would have went on and beat the Titans and at least made it to the Super Bowl that year. Um, yeah. And um, it's just a shame that all those things came together. Uh, as far as value goes, um, you know, you don't know. I mean, that's that's one of those great unknowns uh, looking ahead to the drafts. I think that – I think it's certainly helpful. I think uh, whenever you have a, a player of Deshaun Watson's caliber, um, you certainly you certainly need a lot because, I mean, again, you look at how long it took us to get him, um, you know, and it's going to take us several years in order to I, – I would say we're at least – two, maybe three years out of being, um, you know, even really being anything that you could consider a legitimate contender um, because we just had the, the infrastructure that we had of, of key players and marquee players and even good players, you know, just um, cracked underneath us and it all just kind of fell out. Um, and I don't know why the, the, the Texans are, are protecting Easterby like they are. Um, I don't know, but I do have faith in Nick Casario. You know, I think that, that he did the best he could under the, under the circumstances with the legal situations that are there. Um, especially the Browns are taking a big, a big chance. Um, you know, he may not even play this year, depending upon exactly how things um, play out. So, um, you know, the, the proof will, the proof will be going forward, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And I absolutely love, uh, a lot of the points you brought up, but uh, most specifically with the no trade clause um, and how that was used kind of uh, in an unintended way, at least on the league's behalf, uh, where he, Deshaun Watson started this trend of using that as leverage to get out and uh, be able to choose exactly where he wanted to go. Everything was by his terms. He could get as much money as he want. He could go wherever he wanted. Um, and yeah, obviously that was not the, intended use when the league uh, put that into the CBA to give uh, those players that much control over that situation. So I totally agree that that is probably something that'll be uh, looked at and 
changed. And uh, I like your suggestion of once they request a trade, uh, then it becomes null and void. I think that's perfect. But um, yeah, and I think me and Enrique share a lot of similar thoughts on uh, all of that. Um, and it's uh, interesting to hear it from a Texans fan's perspective um, that, uh, yeah, I mean, you guys were so close. Like you said, you finally got that quarterback that you've been yearning for for so long. And then not only is it grasped away, but it's kind of held over your head for a few years. Um, but at least there's light at the end of the tunnel now and you guys are out of it. Um, and I guess with that, we can move on to the potential light ahead in the tunnel in uh, Davis Mills. And uh, how do you feel about him? his progression through last year um, and right now, do you think that he could be a long-term answer? Well, um, you know, you say never say never. Um, uh, Davis Mills, I would say last season, whenever you really can look at how the season started with, you know, we, we started off at Tyrod Taylor and um, Tyrod Taylor looked terrific in the first game against the Jags. I mean, it, when, when he came out, it, we were all like, okay, this is, this is Tyrod Taylor of old that we're looking at because he came out just guns blazing. And when I saw that first game, I thought, <clears throat> gosh, we may, you know, I, I feel, you know, Tyrod's kind of one of those, those, those players that um, it's gotten very difficult for him to finish a season. So I figured that we would take, we would see Davis Mills at some point um, last season. Um, I, I just didn't have any, um, idea that it was going to be in the second game. And, uh, he, uh, you know, he, he came in there, um, second game, we had a, we had a brutal schedule coming out of the gate once you got past the Jags last year yeah. and for, um, Davis Mills to be facing high caliber playoff team after high caliber playoff team. Um, when he's being basically thrown into the lions with, and I know we'll get to this other part with a coach that probably had no business being in that position. Um, uh, he did very well. Um, I think that, you know, you look at his completion percentages and his statistics by the end of the year, and he was topping all of the rookies, you know, all, there were all of these other rookie quarterbacks that were coming out. And even right now, you don't even hear Davis Mills's name being mentioned. And he was at the, he was at the top of the list at the end of the year. Yeah. And um, so when you, when you really, you know, you, you Tom Brady was in the sixth round, you know, whenever he was, when he was picked, Davis Mills was brought in as a third round quarterback. He played like a third round quarterback um, last year, but then there were some flashes of, um, some really great moments. I mean, some of his, some of the, the plays that he, he was making, you know, he's uh, kind of more of a pocket presence than what we were used to seeing because, you know, Deshaun Watson was, was a scrambling quarterback and we kind of got used to the, the, um, the highs and the highs and lows of, of having a quarterback running in and out and still managing to make throws on the run with guys chasing him down. And all. Um, Davis Mills is more of a um, conventional pocket pocket passer and a pocket quarterback and um you know he's got the he's got the arm strength he's got the height uh, he's got the I think he's got the demeanor that he needs for success because he you know he was thrown out there at uh, very early on losing very early on a lot and still shook it off and um so is he our long-term answer um I would say probably not, um, but I think that, you know, stranger things have happened. We'll see here whenever the, um, 
you know, now that he's finally got a, what I would consider a, a real head coach, you know, kind of running things that can kind of, um, you know, I, I think Pep Hamilton did, did some great things last year. And I think continuing to work, um, you know, work the having Pep still in the building and all that and continue to work with him for a second year and being able to go in, in the off season, just with the mindset that you're the starter, they, you know, they didn't draft anybody this go around. That's going to, it's going to fight him for the job. Um, I think the, the Texas brought in um, Kyler Murray um, that, um, is it Kyler Murray? I think it is. Um, he was from Carolina from years ago. Um, and uh, I don't think, I don't think he's going to take the job from him. So, I mean, we we very well could have two, two backup quarterbacks leaving, leading things. And, um, and so it'll be kind of nice having Davis Mills be able to go through the off season and just uh, see exactly how he, if he's going to take that sophomore slump and, and step back or now we'll see exactly what he's made of as a leader. Um, I think Texans, Texans fans are optimistic. Um, we certainly could be in, in worse shape. And over the years we have been in worse shape um, in, in a lot of ways. So um, it's, uh, I think we're all optimistic about that. Yeah, absolutely. I love, uh, I love your take on that gene and I love uh, the honesty on uh, your take on Davis Mills. Cause I, I definitely think, uh, I'm not too high on him. Um, I, I think that you brought up a good point with him being thrust out there and the schedule that you guys had last year was was really, really rough. Um, but one thing that I did like that the Texans did um, with their draft this year was they added a lot of pieces to the whole team entirely that I think were good, solid fits to add talent to that team. So that way, if it's not Davis Mills, maybe the next quarterback you guys get, um, you know, can find success there. Um, so we want to know what's your overall opinion uh, on the Texans draft class this year. And, you know, if you're going to give it a grade, what would you, what would you give it a grade on? Um, I'd probably give it a B. Um, I think that um, really with the, when you look at what the team has had, I, you know, and Davis Mills is a part of this. I mean, the, the Texans' success this year, and before I even get into that, let's be honest, I think nobody's expecting the Texans to, to maybe win four games this year. Um, the, because uh, the, the schedule, the schedule for them is brutal. I mean, you know, there, there is, um, there's a, they're, they're playing a lot of really good, um, you know, high caliber teams this year. Um, the, I mean, you look at how the, the AFC South has improved um, over the, the past couple of years. I mean, we'll see exactly what with Ryan going to Indianapolis, how that's going to affect them. Tennessee has been, um, you know, just kind of <clears throat> uh, lights out for the past couple of years. And uh, you have to assume that now um, that Urban Meyer's gone and that whole thing has been taken out of Jacksonville that Trevor Lawrence is going to improve and Jacksonville is going to get better. So um, even our own division is not a pushover. And then you, you look, you look at the, the other teams that are, that are out there that were the divisions that we're playing this year. I mean, it's, it's going to be rough. I would say that the success of the Texans this year um, is going to fall basically on um, what comes out of basically three people. And that's going to be uh, Stingley and what his injury situation is going to be and Davis Mills, of course, and how he progressive progresses. And I would say probably Damian Pierce, the, the running back. I mean, the, our running game has been absolutely abysmal. Um, and don't even get me started going back about David Johnson with that trade to DeAndre Hopkins. Um, 
you know, it, that our running game has been horrible since then and worst trade ever. <laughs> and, um, but, you know, you know, you look at some of the, the, the film and you're optimistic about it. I mean, Stingley is, um, he, he's they you're, he's going to be on the, if, if his injury is taken care of, which they say he's been given a clean bill of health. Uh, you know, Levy Smith has said that he's going to be covering number one receivers all year. And he's known to be able to do that very, very well. Um, Damian Pierce, there's a video that's out there that, that is really impressive. And, and, you know, this guy's a bruiser. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to remember what team he was playing, but it was kind of, it was a, a goal line play that he had where he was running in. I think it was about like from the, the nine yard line or something like that. And his helmet gets knocked off of him. And at about the five or six yard line, now the play was blown dead at that point because his helmet flew off, but he mm -hmm. still fought his way into the end zone, not wearing a helmet. And that, wow. that level of, of just a bruising running back like that is something that the Texans need desperately because the running game has been horrible. Um, the, 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 the rookie class, you know, I mean, again, any, any of these guys can, can step up and, and, um, make a, make an impact. I mean, green, just being able to have green out there just as a safety. Um, our, our secondary has been really needing help and, um, you know, just, uh, you know, we'll see how these guys grade out. I mean, you know, it's, it, that's one of the things about football. It's either, you know, score on the offense or keep them from scoring on the defense. And, um, and we've always been typically known as uh, without the running game the last few years, it's, it's been all on, the quarterbacks trying to fling it in there. And especially last year, with the exception of cooks, who are you flinging it in there to, you know, I mean, everybody knew exactly yeah. where the Texans were going. There was one guy basically that, that, uh, you know, you could count on. Whereas in years past, we would have, you know, it was a, it was a pick your poison sort of thing, uh, you know, and we lost all of those pieces. So um, I would say that on this draft class, I think that there were, optimistic on it, but I, I would, I would put it down on those, those three guys, uh, the success of, of um, how that goes. And you know what? Four games is basically what the Texans are projected to win. Anything over that is good. Um, we'll still have uh, probably a high pick last year, uh, next year rather, and um, the Texans will just continue to build. I can tell you most of the people down in Houston believe in Nick Casario and um, it'll be, it'll, you know, he's, he's done well so far. So if we can just, uh, if he can just keep the ship steady and keep us going and keep adding pieces and all that stuff, then eventually we'll get back there again. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with what you said. And uh, I think uh, both me and Enrique agree, uh, especially on Nick Casario, like he has been a pleasant surprise. I feel like, um, uh, you know, just across the league, looking at some of the past um, decisions, especially with that Bill O'Brien era, having a little bit too much control, you know, and then going to a little bit more stability with Nick, uh, Nick Casario, you can see the pieces starting to come together. And um, I, I think that's kind of, uh, you know, what you guys are looking at this upcoming year is just building, getting some more pieces around, seeing what you can do with Davis Mills. Um, and, you know, you look at that schedule, like really the Texans roster, you wish you could get a few more wins out of it but you look at that schedule and it's just so harsh. And uh, like you mentioned, your uh, division has gotten significantly better in the last couple of years. Uh, and the Jaguars are improving. The Colts are primed to be a contender this year. If Matt Ryan is good enough, 
Um, and the Titans are, have been the Titans for the last few years, very successful. And they have some questions now with AJ Brown leaving, but uh, still enough talent there that, yeah, I mean, it's going to be hard this year, but um, I think things are looking up for the uh, Texans and uh, yeah, I mean, the last thing that we wanted to talk to you about today and get your uh, take on was uh, one of the bigger changes of the offseason as well um, from going from David Coley as your head coach to Levy Smith and from the outside, uh, a lot of people think that maybe that happened a little too fast, that they didn't uh, give David Coley enough time. Um, and I was wondering your take on that and uh, whether you felt he should have given more time or are you happy with that change and happy with uh, Levy Smith as new head coach? You know, I don't know what the uh, I don't know what the Texans were thinking last year whenever they hired David Coley. Um, I really don't. Um, hey, every, everybody, everybody. David Cully has a reputation of being the nicest guy in the world, but if you look at his statistics over the years uh, as a coach, usually they're dead last. Yeah. And so uh, he, David Cully, had no he had no business being our head coach. And there were there were certainly better candidates out there. I mean, um, you know the the big one. You know, you look at like Robert Sala and Eric Bieniemy and all all of those those coaches that were were primed and it's one of the things that kind of hangs over the Texans in the back is um, the, the, the fact as to whether or not um, the Texans just stuck him in there basically as a placeholder. And um, now I'm drawing a blank on our, on our, uh, our third string quarterback that was in there that, that was, um, that was going to be that, that a lot of people thought was going to be our head coach. Um Oh, Josh McCown. Josh yes. McCown. There you go. A lot of people thought that Josh McCown was going to be uh, was going to be our head coach, and um, he that David Cully was just stuck in there as a placeholder. Nobody was surprised when he was fired this year, um, and nobody feels sorry for him either. I mean, he was paid really handsomely to come in and basically not know what he was doing for an entire year, <laughs> um, and I would take that job in a heartbeat. Um, you know, right. and. Um, he was paid very handsomely and it was just to get through a year when the Texans had absolutely no draft capital. They were in cap space. Hell um, there was, they had the, the situation that was going on with Deshaun Watson. He wasn't going to, I mean, the, the, the Texans were going nowhere. Um, they, we, I, I was kind of surprised that they had the third pick in the draft. I thought they were easily going to have the first pick in the draft and, um, and had Tyrod Taylor gone out earlier in that first game that we probably would have, uh, but um, I think it's I think it's good that they that they shifted to Levy Smith. How that kind of um, how that kind of came about, I think the um, the uh, the the hiring of of coaches of color kind of affected that. There was the you know the lawsuits and stuff that were coming up from other co the coach in Miami that was uh, that was that was putting the lawsuits out there that the Texans interviewed. I'm not, it's hell getting old. And now I'm suddenly just blank on everything. Um, but <laughs> uh, yeah, but, but, you know, I, I think that the, I think the Texans shifted and I think that Lovey Smith was um, they were not expecting to hire him. And then they just kind of um, he had been there for last year um, and, and, and kind of bringing some sort of stability going through um, trying to uh, trying to build from the inside out. So I don't think Levy Smith is going to be here two years from now. I, I, I don't think the Texans have found their their final coach. Um, but as far as David uh, David Cully goes, no, nobody was surprised that he that he was let go. And um, and 
I, I think they they moved on. They made the the right decision, at least moving to Levy Smith. At least now we have somebody that can continue to steady the ship that has years of head coaching experience, which right now that's what Davis Mills needs. I mean, Davis Mills needs um, somebody that 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 can hold the organization, you know, hold the team together, basically. Yeah. Um, that's had um, that's been there, you know. I mean, my gosh. Uh, could the Texans have had turmoil in in any more ways possible than they did last year? So I think it's smart um, to have Lovey Smith. Um, I think I give him two years. I give Lovey Smith two years here, and then he'll be gone. He'll either retire or um, you know uh, they'll move on. But they're still continuing to get all of these other pieces in place. Um, a lot of people in Houston thought that that um, you know uh, the decision making that that that. David Cully showed on game day or, or lack of decision-making um, was another thing that led to his, his being let go early. Um, you know, he could have stayed around for another year, but it would have just been another year of other people telling him what to do. So at least we have somebody now that, huh. that, uh, that kind of knows how to run a team. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, no I think. Oh, go ahead, Enrique. Oh, no, I was just going to agree with, uh, with Gene's point in regards to, uh, David Coley kind of just kind of being that scapegoat for, you know, the Texans to just get through the season almost in a way. Cause um, I totally forgot how bad your guys' cap situation was, um, you know, and so yeah, you really couldn't add tons of talent to that roster um, draft wise, you know, free agency wise, couldn't spend any money. Um, so yeah, I, 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 my feelings are the same in regards to David Coley kind of, just being thrust up there to, you know, get him through the year kind of scapegoat type of coach. And, you know, we'll, we'll pick up next year. And um, yeah, I, I, I agree completely with um, that. Lovey, Lovey's probably going to retire. Or they're going to move on in the next couple of years, especially as we see, um, you know, I, these college coaches kind of come up and go back down and some of them worked out, some of them haven't. And you know how the NFL is, Gene, you know, Next year, there's going to be six new head coaching vacancies, anyway. So, we'll see. Um, we'll see who's available. Well, and that brings, that brings up a whole other point because it's like you know, and this is a thing that a lot of Houstonians are kind of scratching their head about, you know, because because um, you know the the Texans were in such cap problems, and you know who caused that. That was uh, that was Jack Easterby negotiating those contracts with Bill O'Brien. And uh, uh, Jack Easterby was taking on the role of the de facto GM before Bill O'Brien kind of got involved in, in, you know, had both both titles, basically, while Jack Easterby moved up to the, you know, football operations. But Jack Easterby negotiated those contracts that put the Texans basically in cap hell. And so the big question that a lot of people are wondering is, OK, so the uh, Jack Easterby came in and got Brian Gain fired. Um, DeAndre Hopkins left because he didn't want to be there. Got Bill O'Brien fired. Um, why is he still there? I don't, I don't get it either. I, I mean, you look at his track record, like you said, and it seems like he should be gone by now. Um, but it seems like the uh, ownership seems to have some sort of affinity towards him to where he's not getting fired. Um, at least that's my guess. Cause yeah, I mean, it was strictly on a, you know, business perspective. I think at any other franchise, he would have been fired at this point, but 
Um, uh, you know, at the very least with Nick Casario, it seems like he's uh, doing enough to help right the ship there, even with Jack Easterby still being present. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll have to see how that situation can kind of end up resolving itself. Well, we're keeping our fingers crossed on that because, you know, the Texan, you know, he, he hasn't, he hasn't had a uh, press conference since he basically took credit for Deshaun Watson's big contract. And um, the, <laughs> what's great about it is now he, as Nick Casario is starting to take more and more uh, charge of the team, Jack Easterby is now not showing up at public events anywhere. Mm. So, uh, so they, they were talking about that on Houston radio. There's uh, a, a, a radio show that I listen to with sports radio 610 in Houston. I sound like I'm plugging for them. I should, you know, I should check and see if I can get a job plugging for them. Um, (laughs) But uh, they were talking about how there was a big golf tournament that, that uh, a lot of big, big wigs were at, including Cal McNair and uh, Nick Casario and all that. And Jack Easterby was nowhere to be found. And um, the only last time that we saw him was we saw his his head go by the television on draft night in the war room. <laughs> so um, so hopefully the Texans are or or Nick at least because I know Nick Nick is friends with him and that's fine. But hopefully the uh, uh, Nick is starting to take charge of other things and Jack Easterby is going to start to slide into the background as he should and let Nick handle things. And I think if Nick handles things, I think that ultimately the Texans will find themselves in a position where. Um, at least within maybe maybe two years from now, maybe three years from now, they may be able to to jump back into a wild card round, and at that point, then all bets are off from there on out through the playoffs, as we all know. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you try to get to the playoffs, and as long as you have a chance, you have a chance. So always. Yeah. Um, I couldn't agree more. We're excited to see what the Tex- uh, Texans can do coming up in the future here. And Gene, thank you so much for your time. Uh, we're so grateful uh, and we hope to have you on another time and everybody uh, you can find Gene at nextstagepress.com. We're going to put that link in the description as well. If you want to find them again, thank you so much for your time. Thanks a lot guys. I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks buddy. I appreciate you again and I'll talk to you soon. Okay. All right. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye. 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 All right. And yeah, I mean, that was a, absolute blast Marike. it was super fun to have gene on uh couldn't thank him more for, uh, for his time and be more appreciative um and yeah i mean we really hope we can get him on another time uh that was fantastic yeah thanks again gene um you know i really appreciate you taking your time out to help us out and come onto the show and like always like i've always had great conversations with gene just another good conversation with gene uh with gene about his texans and uh, yeah, like you said, hopefully we'll be able to get him back on. Um, hopefully this, those Texans do something for him. So that way, um, next time we have him on, he, he'll, he'll, uh, he can at least have something uh, positive to say. You know? Yeah, absolutely. We wish luck to the Texans. And uh, yeah, I mean, as we talked about with him, they've got some things to look forward to. So um, we'll see where they go this year. And then uh, with that, we can go ahead and move on to our next team breakdown, which is going to be the Jacksonville Jaguars in the division there. And um, yeah, so we'll start off with their general manager, Trent Balke. Uh I think most people at this point want him fired. Um, I think that he's made he's, – he's an interesting GM because he really has made – some positive, positive decisions. 
Um, but at the same time, a lot of those positive decisions were also like no brainers. And he's also absolutely messed up a lot of other decisions. Um, and so I think he, you know, you saw at the end of last season, um, with Urban Meyer and that whole fiasco, uh, you have Jaguars fans essentially just begging for him to be fired and wearing the clown makeup. But, um, I put on my clown makeup this week and, uh, really tried to just, you know, embody a Jaguars fan and get into the team. And, um, yeah, I, I was pretty, uh, like I was excited to look into the Jaguars, uh, because I knew obviously you have some up and coming talent there with the number one overall pick Trevor Lawrence, uh, obviously not as good as Zach Wilson, but a pretty good quarterback to have. Um, so yeah, I mean, you have him, James Robinson, his, uh, uh, running back uh, in college, Travis Entian Jr., which you can essentially consider uh, a new player this year because he didn't play last year. Um, he's still recovering from a foot injury, um, and so he's going to be uh, essentially a brand-new uh, player for them as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, to go more specifically into uh, the roster, and we can go through that all there. In the quarterback room, start off with Trevor Lawrence, uh, and then C.J. Beathard behind him, a career backup, but a decent one. Um, so he can't be mad at that. Jake Luton behind them. And then E.J. Perry uh, came in this year as an undrafted free agent in that running back room. As we mentioned before, you have James Robinson, who is recovering from an Achilles injury suffered last year, as well as Travis Etienne Jr. recovering from a foot injury. And then you have Ryquel Armstead and Snoop Connor, who came in this year in the fifth round. Um, somebody that the Jags were actually looking forward to getting and Connor might actually, uh, well, alongside Armstead, most likely, uh, might actually end up taking a chunk of snaps in the beginning of the season, just because Robinson and Etienne are still recovering from those uh, pretty severe injuries. Um, and James Robinson, uh, happened, I believe near the end of the season. Um, so he may not come back until, um, at some point during the season, uh, but a solid back when he does and paired up with uh, Etienne, that's going to be a really interesting backfield. Um, Etienne, more of a kind of receiving back. He's a smaller guy. Um, I know that like under Urban Meyer, there was a lot of talk about just using him as a receiver. I don't know if that's going to be the case with Doug Peterson. Um, we're going to have to see there uh, just like what his role will be. But, I mean, I would imagine to, regardless, expect decent things out of him, considering uh, that um, chemistry should already be there with Trevor Lawrence. And then moving on to the wide receiver room, you have Marvin Jones. Uh, Zay Jones, who is new to this roster, came over from the Raiders, a player that I actually really like. I think a lot of people kind of scoffed at this move. Um, but when you listen to people talk about Zay Jones, you go back and talk, uh, listen to Derek Carr talk about him. They always talked about how hard of a worker he is. And he's like one of those first in last out kind of guys. Um, and just absolutely puts his nose to the grind. And I like, you can't be mad at that. Um, and you've seen him rise up the ranks, uh, throughout his career from being, uh, basically nobody in Buffalo, um, but showing a couple flashes here and there and then going with the Raiders and pairing up with Derek Carr, them developing some chemistry and him starting to rise. Um, and so I would be interested to see 
what he can do here with Trevor Lawrence. And I, I think he's going to be an underrated weapon for them there. Um, but another wide receiver they added this offseason in Christian Kirk, more of a slot guy uh, coming from the Cardinals, uh, got paid a large contract. So we're going to have to see if he can live up to that. Uh, probably going to be expected to do a lot for them. Um, I do think he's a guy like he burns you. He's a, a, a speed guy for sure. I think he has some uh, like a, he can do multiple things. He's not just straight speed. He also can do some more uh, route running, but I think he's not um, like, I wouldn't call him a star on that. end. I think he's very defined by that uh, speed role and could grow into more, but I guess that's kind of the question. I think maybe part of the reason why that contract was large enough is do the Jaguars think he can grow into a larger role than just being that slot speed guy. Um, and I think he has the tools for it, but he's got to grow into it. Um, so we will have to see there. Um, and then moving down that room, LaVisca Chenault Jr. out of Colorado. This is a guy I really like, and I'm waiting for him to break out. A lot of people think he's one of those guys that might be used in more of that Debo role. He's got a lot of size, um, but he's got really ridiculous speed and good athleticism, um, a shifty guy. And he could be one of those, like, he's just good after the catch. So get the ball in his hands any way you can. He's going to make some noise. He's going to get some yards. Um, and so I'm uh, hoping and uh, wondering about Doug Peterson coming in and uh, if he's going to try and do something with him like that. Um, behind them, Laquan Treadwell, a uh, decent receiver, uh, been with them for, I think, a year now, came over from the Vikings. Um, and then Jamal Agnew coming back from injury as well as their uh, primary returner, or at least expected to be. Uh, Kevin Austin Jr. coming in as an undrafted free agent, and then Lawan Winningham coming in as an undrafted free agent as well. And then in the tight end room, uh, another new addition here, Evan Ingram coming from the Giants. Uh, this is a pretty big move in my opinion because uh, that tight end room was looking pretty bleak for a while there, um, and especially obviously last year. Uh, there just wasn't much there to work with. Um, and so now you have Evan Ingram behind him, Dan Arnold, um, and Chris Manhurts, Luke Fer Farrell, and then Garrett Prince comes in as an undrafted free agent. Like at the very least, you have two Evan Ingram and Dan Arnold. I like those guys. Um, they're relatively young. Ingram has not shown or not, um, he has more potential than he's shown with the Giants. And uh, so somebody that you're hoping can be better than uh, what he's shown is in his past. Um, and still young enough to uh, reasonably, reasonably believe he's going to get better. So, um, but also another contract that people were kind of, some people were saying maybe an overpay there as well. Um, so it just depends on him. Um, and then speaking of contracts, we move on to left tackle. Cam Robinson, just getting that uh, extension not too long ago. Your franchise left tackle, keeping uh, Trevor Lawrence's jersey clean. Uh, behind him, Walker Little and Coy Cronk. And then at left guard, you have Ben Barch, Will Richardson, and Jared Hawker. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, so I think you're solid at left tackle, obviously, with Cam uh, Robinson, Ben Barch. Uh, some people have questions about him uh, as a starter. And then you have those two guys behind him that could compete for that job. But then you do move on to center where they have a third-round draft pick in Luke Fortner, who is expected to uh, at least compete for the starting job that was held by Tyler Shatley. Um, and I've heard talk that potentially if Luke Fortner wins that center job, 
then Shatley might have a chance to move over to left guard and replace uh, Ben Barch. Um, so that just might be something that kind of works its way out in um, training camp. And, uh, you know, depending on injuries, you never know what's going to happen anyways. Um, so you'll have to see, but it doesn't hurt to have enough guys to shift around like that. Um, behind those two guys at center though, you also have Casey McDermott and then Nick Ford, who they brought in as an undrafted free agent. Um, and then at right guard, they brought in a free agent in Brandon Scherf from the commanders uh, solid guy. I believe he's like 29 or 30 now, like he's like pushing it, but he's been solid his entire career. Um, certainly I wouldn't say he's like over the hill yet. Like he's got football left in in, in him. Um, so I, I would consider that right guard position taken care of. Um, and then behind him, Wes Martin. And uh, at right tackle, you have Jawan Taylor, uh, first round pick in uh, the 2019 draft, I believe it was. And then Bedara Terare, probably butchered that uh, behind him and Marcus Tatum coming in as an undrafted free agent. Um, I think Juwan Taylor is still one of those young guys that has not necessarily established himself, but you hope that he does. And he has, uh, well, what if he was drafted in 2019, he's got this year and then he'll be due for a contract. So um, you are hoping that he can be that franchise right tackle. If so, you pay him. Um, and if not, then you need to move on and we'll have to see this year if that right tackle position is, uh, taken care of or not for the Jaguars. Um, cause I think Juwan Taylor is still considered a question there. Um, and then moving on to the defensive side of the ball, starting with the safeties and moving downwards, uh, we have, uh, Rayshon Jenkins, uh, free, uh, free safety. Uh, he's been solid in his career. Uh, not spectacular, but, uh, certainly started there. Uh, behind him, Daniel Thomas out of Auburn, got her up Auburn there. Um, excited for him. Uh, we'll have to see if he can turn into something uh, behind him. And uh, we have Brandon Rusnak and then Ayo Oyelola coming in as an undrafted free agent as well. And then at strong safety, you have Andrew Wingard behind him, Andre Cisco, and then Sean Mahoney uh, coming in as an undrafted free agent as well. And then uh, in the cornerback room, you're looking at Shaquille Griffin coming over from the Seahawks, what, like two years ago now, I think. Um, you know, got that contract from the Jaguars. He's been solid as expected. Um, Tyson Campbell behind him. Chris Claybooks. Sorry. <coughs> Trey Herndon. And then Gregory Jr. coming in uh, in the sixth round this year. And uh, behind him, Monteric Brown coming in in the seventh as well. And uh, Joshua Thompson coming in as an undrafted free agent. Uh, interesting note on Monteric Brown. He is the first Arkansas uh, cornerback to oh, – shoot, I didn't write down the stat, but I should have. He was the first Arkansas cornerback, I believe, to uh, – oh, that's what it was. The first team, uh, like all defense, uh, for his position in the SEC in like – I think it was like since 2003 – um, which is just like for a seventh round pick, obviously, you know, he's got some things to work on, um, but an interesting resume there to uh, outperform uh, the Arkansas uh, historic defense there. Um, and there's a lot of talent, talented cornerbacks in the SEC. Um, so, you know, clearly uh, did something right to land there. 
Um, and then at the slot cornerback position uh, this offseason, you bring in Darius Williams and free agency from the Rams previously at the Ravens as well. Um, more of a slot guy. I think he's like five, nine. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, he's a solid pickup. He's gotten better almost every year uh, of his career, um, certainly with the uh, Rams. And he started um, like a good chunk of their games in the last couple of years um, and has really come on as a starter. Um, and then behind him, Rudy Ford out of Auburn as well. And Xavier Crawford uh, also coming in free agency. And then uh, you get to the inside linebacker spot. And this is where it starts to get interesting uh, when you consider the draft. Um, but in free agency, they brought in Foyo uh, Kun, probably butchered that as well. Um, and we talked about his contract back when uh, the news had broke. I think a lot of the general consensus is people feel like this is an overpay, uh, which he's a young player who is not necessarily uh, produced a ton yet. He had a, a chance with the Falcons, uh, I think started like most of the year and had solid numbers. Um, but before that, he just has not been on the field that much. So he's still kind of a question and not like established um, and getting a pretty solid uh, contract out of it if, well, with the Jaguars. People were kind of questioning that. I believe in this guy. I think he's going to be solid. Um, so you talk about him as an addition, but then behind him, they go and draft Devin Lloyd in the first round. Um, out of Utah, a lot of people would consider him the uh, best inside linebacker in that draft, or at least very, or in the top three somewhere. Um, and so they land him. Uh, and then behind him as well in the third round, they got Chad Muma out of Wyoming, which I know you're a fan of, Enrique. I liked him uh, in the draft process as well. Um, so solid pickup there. Um, and then behind them, Shaquille Quarterman, Chappelle Russell, Tyrell Adams and Morgan Grant coming in as an undrafted free agent. But uh, just with those top three, I mean, very, very solid uh, linebacking core there. All right. And then moving in into our edge section here, uh, obviously Josh Allen, not the quarterback, the other one, uh, he's been solid, especially the last couple of years really coming to his own. And um, yeah, I mean, can't be ha uh, happier with him on one side. And then uh, with your first overall pick, you draft Trevon Walker. Um, we talked a little bit about him during the draft coverage. And I think he's somebody who was, uh, you pick it first overall as more of a projection of what you think he can be rather than what he showed in college necessarily. Um, but he's got all the tools and uh, yeah, I'm going to be really excited to see what Doug Peterson can do with him there. Um, and uh, did you have any thoughts on him as well? Uh, as far as, um, Talking Just about Trevon Walker. Oh, Trevon Walker. Um, I mean, the only thing I say about Trevon Walker is I just hope that we're able to see a little bit more from him. Um, I mean, he's pretty much got pushed up to the top of the draft uh, boards by a lot of guys based on um, his potential and what he could become uh, just because everybody's betting on that they haven't seen um, enough out of him because he was on that stacked Georgia defense. So I'm hoping that he can, um, you know, I'm hoping that he can, you know, prove a lot of people right. Um, but besides that, yeah, I'm just hoping to see um, more of why he became the first overall uh, pick this last year. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And can't be mad at that pick there. I mean, you can argue all day that there was more proven players to take there. Um, but, yeah, we'll just have to see what he can do. 
Um, and then behind him, Caleb Von Chasen, uh, who hasn't really panned out the way you necessarily wanted him to, but has been still an okay player. Um, and then Arden Key uh, came over from the 49ers, uh, been, again, okay, but not amazing. Um, behind him, Jordan Smith and Jameer Jones, Rashad Berry, uh, and then Deshaun Dixon coming in as an undrafted free agent. And I mean, that's a pretty deep room. Uh, when you talk about Kilvon Chasen and Arden Key, um, two solid guys uh, being your really third and fourth pieces on that edge rotation. Um, so you really can't be mad at that edge room, especially uh, adding Trevon Walker and um, yeah, really cementing that as a strength on this team. And um, you hope that Trevon Walker can become, uh, you know, pretty much the uh, name and the uh, leader of that defense uh, if he really comes into his own there. Um, I guess that role is kind of with Josh Allen at the moment, but um, yeah, we'll just have to see. Um, and then on that defensive line there at defensive tackle, talk about Malcolm Brown, uh, then behind him, Jay Tufele. Uh, Adam Gotsis, a former Bronco, and then Israel Antoine coming in as a undrafted free agent. Uh, fully, or at nose tackle, you have Fully Fadukasi uh, coming over from the Jets, and I wanted to ask you your opinion on him as well. Um, I mean, I kind of can just uh, consider him a solid player, not fantastic or anything, uh, but certainly a decent piece for them to add. Yeah, I agree for sure, and uh, Foley was one of those guys for us that he definitely developed and and took some good uh, steps forward as a football player. I um, mean, he would he is a guy that the Jets have kept on their roster the last few years, um, just because he really has worked hard and became a you know solid nose tackle for us. Um, kind of sad to see him go just a little bit, um, but. Ultimately, it goes down to um, a Texans or a Texans team, a Jaguars team that is really like when when you're looking at this roster of what the Jaguars have, they have a bit more pieces than you may think. And um, yeah, Foley adds, yeah. Uh, you know, to the depth there, and um, you know, just continues to do what Foley does, and that's you know, be a solid football player. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, like that was kind of the same page I'm on is like he fills that spot for you and you consider him the starter, um, not necessarily point to him as like a star on the team, or at least not right now. You hope that, like you said, as he's developed and gotten better, maybe he can develop into something like that. But uh, at least, you know, if you, you feel like that nose tackle spot is uh, taken care of with him there now. Um, and then behind him, you have Devon Hamilton and Raycon Williams, a couple more pieces there. Uh, to rotate and at the defensive end spot as well, Roy Robertson Harris and then Dwayne Smoot and Jeremiah Ledbetter. So, uh, you know, this defensive line, I, I wouldn't call it a strength, but I wouldn't call it a weakness either. Um, Cause I think you've got some pieces like we talked about Fatu Kasi. I think that you have somebody who's going to hold it down there. Um, and so I, I don't think that they're going to be like, just like what causes this team to be bad, for instance. Um, but I, I don't think that it's also a unit that you point to with the utmost confidence, but that's helped a little bit with that inside uh, linebacking core. Um, if you can't necessarily keep the run inside um, and stop it at the line, at least you've got the inside linebacking core to take care of it um, and get some tackles there. 
Um, I think you've certainly drafted for that. Um, so, yeah. Um, and then moving on to the special teams, just going over the kicker, punter, and returner. Uh, starting with kicker, you have Ryan Santoso uh, also coming in in free agency this year. And then as punter returning, you have Logan Cook. And returner, we talked about a little bit uh, earlier in the wide receiver core, Jamal Agnew uh, coming back from injury as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, kind of like you alluded to talking about Fatukasi was uh, this Jaguars team before looking at it. I mean, you look at their win total. Obviously, they have the first overall pick. Your immediate thought is they're not a good team. Right. But uh, like you when you really look at the roster, you really break it down. Not only do they have some pieces, they have some depth in certain spots. Um, I don't think that they're necessarily going to be competing for anything right now, but I do think that they are starting to put together a core um, and I expect them to maybe pull off a couple upset wins this year, um, depending on how much that they can come together under Doug Peterson. And I think that really the addition of Doug Peterson, what that does for you is adds stability. Um, You know, nobody can say that in my opinion, nobody can say that Doug Peterson, um, like I wouldn't say he's a wonderful coach, but I don't think you can say he's an awful coach that can't hold a team together because uh, within his time as a head coach, the one thing he has done is at least been like decent, you know what I mean? And held the team together to the point where they're, they're do like playing decent enough football that they are in the conversation. Um, and so I think for Doug Peterson, all you need to do is, provide the stability, not even necessarily winning, because again, you're coming off of having the uh, number one overall pick two years in a row. So at least if you can end the season with, you know, three, four, maybe five wins, like that would be a, a win for me. And just continuing the development of Trevor Lawrence and those young guys and starting to build that chemistry with this building roster. Um so uh, top three storylines for me going into the season with this team, um, you know, kind of talked about a little bit there. Trevor Lawrence continuing to develop with a new coaching staff. Um, you know, it, obviously, kind of like we talked about with Davis Mills, um, it's never the greatest thing to change around the scheme for a young quarterback who's just coming into the league and uh, trying to learn all these new things, these new concepts to him. Um, and then you change around the offense, but obviously going from uh, Urban Meyer, who is a walking dumpster fire in the NFL, in the NFL, to uh, Doug Peterson, your hope there is just like I said, getting some stability. Um, and yeah, I mean, this is a situation where uh, you're definitely thankful for the change. Um, it's just a question of which is our number two storyline: uh, is Doug Peterson and uh, who he's going to bring in a fit for the Jaguars. Can they provide that stability that uh, this organization sorely needs? Um, And yeah, I mean, in my opinion, like I said, I think that's what Doug Peterson provides you. And that's why I like the hire so much Um, because I think that some of the candidates they were looking into, everybody was kind of like, really? Um, But yeah, I think that they ended up with, probably one of, if not the best realistic option they had at a uh, head coach coming in. Um, and I think Doug Peterson kind of just snuck in there as an option that nobody really talked about. And he, all of a sudden they were like, Doug Peterson's the coach. They're like, Oh, well, cool. I guess. <laughs> so, um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, like I thought it was a good hire, and we're gonna have to see how it plays out and how he can provide uh, support for this young team. Um, and then number three, uh, kind of you know going back to that point is this is gonna be one of those years, just like for the Texans, where you have a lot of young players developing. So for this young core, you want to start developing an identity. You want to find what these guys do well. What can you do with them schematically? How can you involve all of that together and then build identities? And I think that's such a big part of building a winning football team um, is like building an identity uh, as a team and understanding what everybody does well and uh, using them to their best uh, advantage. So um, yeah. And uh, like you talk about, especially with those key new additions and Trevon Walker, uh, bringing Devin Lloyd, Say Jones, Christian Kirk, Trevius Etienne might as well be a new addition, uh, like we talked about there. Like there's so many new pieces coming into this team, some returning ones as well, um, but they're all going to have to find their uh, places on this roster and their uh, fit into the puzzle. Um, and then for their record prediction, I'm thinking 3-14, and 14, looking over this um, – schedule kind of similarly to the Texans because they're in the same division. So they're facing the same um, div- like other divisions. Um, and it's a tough uh, schedule. I mean, you talk about like you're facing the AFC West toughest division in football. You're facing the AFC East, obviously, or I'm sorry, the AFC South, obviously. Um, so, and which is only getting better. Um, the only other team in there that I have them actually splitting with is Houston. Um, and I think that that could go either way. You kind of alluded to that series when you were talking about uh, the Texans is uh, I think that there's a world where the Jaguars sweep. I think that there's also a world where they split. Um, I, I don't know that Houston could take both games, but I do view Houston has having enough talent that at least I have them uh, potentially winning their home matchup with the Jaguars there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, going through it a little bit, I think those wins you have week one at Washington that could go either way. And that's a pretty generous one in my opinion, but I, my reasoning there is you have uh, Carson Wentz coming into a brand new team. And then I don't think Chase Young is going to be healthy by the beginning of the season. I'm not entirely sure about that, but cause he had his uh, ACL injury, like right at the end of last year, didn't he? Yeah. So I, I don't know that he's going to be available, and I think that's a pretty solid piece of that uh, defense. So I think that's when you can maybe sneak out um, week one there. And then week five versus Houston, uh, so I think they split that series and um, the Jaguars managed to take their home matchup there. Uh, and then week 13 at the Lions. Uh, yeah, the Lions are one of those teams that, I mean, they're building too, and this could go either way. Um, but I do think that the Jaguars have more talent on paper than the Lions. Um, so, and then walking through the potential losses real quick. So uh, we have both week two and six versus uh, and at Indianapolis. And I mean, this one to me, obviously the Colts are looking to contend, but on top of that, the Jaguars ended their season with an upset last year. And I think that, uh, the Colts took that very, very personal. And I think that, I mean, you talk about the way that Jim Irsay talked about that game and how uh, angry he was about the result of that. And like, essentially right after the game was like, nah, we're not bringing Carson back. Like, that's it, bro. Like you can't come back after that. 
Um, so like, I, I genuinely think that the Colts are going to come out with a vengeance um, and their first matchup in week two with them is at the uh, uh, Jaguars stadium in uh, Jacksonville there. So like, I think obviously that's the game that they're going to be, um, you know, most emotional about. So I think they probably take that one, which is the only one you had the chance of winning, because I think that it's pretty obvious you're losing the Indianapolis, uh, like the one in Indianapolis. So, um, yeah, I have them losing both of those, losing to the Chargers in week three, because, yeah, uh, week four, Philadelphia is one of those games where you could maybe flip flop it. Um, Like you said, depending on uh, if Jalen Hurts has a bad day or not. Um, But I do think that the Eagles also added a ton of talent this offseason. So it's going to depend on uh, how strong they look coming out of the gates. Um, and then week seven versus the giants. I thought maybe that's a win as well. Um, but the giants, like it's kind of iffy for me, but I think the um, addition of Dable is going to be a bigger boon for them than people are uh, giving credit for even with um, what's his face at still at quarterback. Oh my God. Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones Jesus. Sorry. Yeah, Daniel Jones, like even with him still a quarterback, I, I genuinely think uh, a Dable-led Giants team is a little bit more formidable at least, um, but potential win there. Week eight versus Denver, obviously Denver is going to win that one. Sorry. Uh, week nine versus Las Vegas. Uh, yeah, I think they take that one too. Kansas City in week 10. Uh, yeah. Week 12 versus Baltimore. Yeah, Baltimore is probably taking that one. 14 versus uh, Tennessee another one there for well Tennessee again that's one of those teams where like they did have the one seed last year but you take out you know basically their heartbeat other than like I would say half their heartbeat other than um uh Derrick Henry when you take out AJ Brown and uh bring him over to the Eagles there um so we're gonna have to see how quickly they can come on and how formidable they are but um, yeah I have Tennessee winning both of their matchups as well and then week 15 versus Dallas uh, taken by Dallas there week 16 versus the Jets. I view the Jets as a much better team. Um, and yeah, I would imagine you would agree with that result. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. And then week 17, uh, I have Houston. That's the at Houston game. So I do think that that's the one that Houston takes. Um, but I could see a world where uh, the Jaguars take both. Um, and then week 18 versus Tennessee, like, that's their home game. Kind of like I, I alluded to is like, maybe, maybe it just depends. Obviously I think at week 18 too, you probably have Tennessee unless they get super injured playing their best football. Um, you have the rookie Traylon Burks coming in and learning, and he's probably going to be at his best in week 18 um, as opposed to if you got this matchup at week two, you know what I mean? So we're just going to have to see how it goes. Um, but yeah, I mean, Max, I say five, but I think that you can pull out at least two or three wins there. Um, And really, kind of like we said with the uh, Texans, I think that this is a roster that when you really break it down, has some talent, but they're facing such a rough schedule. um, It just doesn't give you a a lot to work with. Yeah, no, for sure. And uh, excellent job breaking down the Jaguars uh, per usual. Um, yeah, no, I, I think you one you went through their roster and you really showed like they got Malcolm Brown, they got Josh Allen still, they got and I, I know like you said, uh, 
uh, Kay Le'Veon Chase on hasn't necessarily lived up to that hype of, um, uh, you know, a first round draft pick, but, you know, he still is dangerous coming off the edge. Um, you know, pairing Josh Allen and Trayvon Walker is going to be nice. And then Devin Lloyd, excellent, excellent draft pick, excellent linebacker. Uh, Chad Moma coming in there as well. Excellent linebacker. Um, you got Shaquille Griffin. You know, you just got so many guys. And then I forgot they added, uh, added Brandon Sheriff. Um, they are, you know, obviously they paid Juwan Taylor, um, Cameron Robinson, left tackle still. So, you know, with Evan Ingram, the random group of wide receivers they have, I know we both love Zay Jones so much. Um, an excellent breakdown on Christian Kirk. I still, I, I still am iffy, especially with the part about Christian Kirk is the money. That was just so much money that yeah. I didn't necessarily know that he deserved. Um, but, you know, still a weapon. Um, and, yeah, getting Travis Etienne back, um, you know, is going to be huge. James Robinson is going to be huge. And then, yeah, um, although he is uh, less um, – he's less superior to Zach Wilson um, – you know, Trevor Lawrence is still going to be a decent quarterback in the NFL. So, yeah, the Jaguars, um, like, when you really start, like, they're like one of those teams that are good on Madden. You know what I mean? They're, like, good right. on Madden because they have, like, players that have good, you know, attributes like, you know, strength and speed and different things like that. Um, but then they might not be as good uh, in the NFL um, just because some of these guys still have to work out. You know, so a lot of these guys are rookies. Um, but they have a very young core that um, I think, you know, with some of the leftover pieces from that core, like Josh Allen, um, you know, they're starting to get it together. They, in my opinion, have one of the better, like, random um, win chances in regards to, like, you know, one of these days, all these pieces, if they all fire on all cylinders, um, you know, these pieces could possibly upset somebody but yeah i agree um not only is their division super hard um but you know they are you know unfortunately there's a jacksonville jaguars they just have that reputation of being a very very bad team i know they had their random you know uh arc where they made it to the afc championship game with uh Led by yeah like it's just it's just crazy um, but ultimately, like, it's just one of those things that we'll just have to wait and see um, how big of a leap Trevor Lawrence takes. Um, if he can, you know, be the franchise quarterback that I think he could be if he can, you know, show the talent that he has. And uh, the other thing, too, is uh, we're going to have to – I I really want to see how good uh, how good uh, Trayvon Walker's going. I really, really want to see how good Trayvon Walker Um, because, I mean, if I'm being honest, Ryan, I just can't forgive Trayvon Walker for messing up our mock draft. Um, right. So I just, it all I started from there, and it just went downhill. Exactly. If he didn't get drafted first overall, it would have went exactly the way it was going to. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, but excellent job breaking him down. Um, I'm definitely excited to see the Jaguars play. Um, and yeah, I'm one, let me say one, one more thing about the Jags. Thank God they fired Urban Meyer because that was the biggest shit show I've ever seen ever. It was 
beyond embarrassing, and I'm so glad to um, so glad that it's done and over with. So was, so glad. It was like secondhand embarrassing. Yeah, well, he makes you embarrassed. Like I don't know, it's just like he makes you embarrassed to even like the NFL when right. stuff like that's happening. You're like, fuck, he did like he didn't fly back on the plane with his team. The chop house, the video, it's just all in all, like, what, what, like. Actually, I got to interject right in there. Just if, if anybody listening to this, which if you're listening to this, you've probably seen it, but if there's anybody who's not uh, seen this on the Chargers social media, they did a draft, uh, or I'm sorry, not a draft, a schedule release video. And it's like an anime style for all the teams that they played. And then the Jaguars one, they had a little section where it was uh, like the photo that was taken of Urban Meyer in the bar after he didn't fly back with his team. And he was with like some, uh, not underage, but like much younger woman. Um, and uh, like they had a little Jaguar sitting in the exact pose he was sitting totally making fun of that moment. And it was fantastic. Just like the entire video was, uh, that was like the highlight of that entire schedule release thing. That was just so good. You sent that to me earlier too. Yeah. Um, the, the Chargers really did kill it with that whole thing. Like they, like one, I didn't know the schedule release thing. Like I didn't know all the teams were going to make cool little videos and, like all the teams that did it, like are taking shots with, um, with like how they're doing it. Like the Chargers are taking all kinds of shots in that video. Um, like it's 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 great. I, I love to see it because I love I love when it's like a subtle like shit talking move. Like right, you know where you like you kind of see it, but you like if you don't pay attention to it or you don't follow the storylines of the NFL, like you might not understand it completely. So. Yeah, excellent, excellent point bringing that up too because that they do deserve a fucking shout out for that video because one, not only do I love anime, you love anime as well, um, but Justin Herbert being a little anime main character was dude, like, yeah. that's my shit, dude. I'm like, you like know, went Super Saiyan at the end. Yeah, like, gotta love it, dude. You gotta, gotta love it. I just gotta love it. I think one of my favorite parts of that was right in the beginning, they were going through some of the chargers players and stuff. And they did Brandon Staley, the coach. Um, and he like had like, you know, one of those classic, like he's about to beat the crap out of somebody anime looks on his face. And then behind him, you just have one of the down markers in the NFL with a four on it. So it was fourth down and it was a reference to uh, the whole storyline of last year where people were criticizing him for going on fourth down so often. And like, so the context of that, like it's funny in the first place, but then like you just said, there's those little tiny Easter eggs that depending on if you were paying attention to the storylines and those little uh, things going on, like it takes on a whole different meaning. So Rose like about to activate a special power and go for a fourth down. I thought that was the whole entire video. It was right. full of crap like that, and it was just fantastic. Like, every single NFL fan needs to go watch that because, I mean, the Chargers' social media has been killing it, but that is by far their their uh, masterpiece for sure. Um, yeah, uh, I, we had to bring that up. And then to go back to your point too, though, but uh, Urban Meyer, yeah, I mean, that was just 
secondhand embarrassment for like the entire league. Everybody was like, oh my God, this is actually this bad in the NFL. And it just kept going too. I mean, he got, he ended up getting fired mid season, but like it took way too long in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, you, um, you really could have, I mean, they're really, and maybe that really does go to show why everyone wants to see, uh, uh, their GM get fired, Trent Balk, um, yeah. or Balake, or whatever you say his last name. Um, like, because how do you allow – the first time I heard that Urban Meyer didn't fly back with his team, I was like, mm, that's not a good look. That's not a good look at all, but whatever. Like, Urban Meyer is kind of like a superstar head coach. You know, like, that'll – like, it is what it is. And then the videos come out and all this stuff comes out. And I'm like, dang, this was about to get fired. Like, he's for sure going to get fired. If it was anybody else, he would have got fired. And then he didn't get fired. He didn't get fired. or didn't get fired. And then eventually, by the time midseason came, um, you know, they inevitably let him go. But it was just like the questions that I have are, if you're a GM and you're not seeing your head coach on the fucking plane back with your team, why are you not furious? Why are you not screaming? Like yeah. that, like it, it drives me crazy because, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a team first type of guy, you know, there's no way that I want to see anyone get treated any differently or, you know, like I love, I love when like a star player just, you know, puts the team first. Um, and that's the, that's the, like, literally that is what the head coach is supposed to do is literally leave the, like lead the team and um he, he was so laughable at it that it was it was crazy to actually believe that he had such a um he had such success in in the college leagues and it really goes to show that like the college ranks of football um are vastly different from the nfl because i would imagine if this is what urban meyer did when he got his shot with the jaguars this is what he was doing before he was doing stuff like this before. Um, you know, I've heard stories about him down in Florida and how he ran the program down there. Um, can't say as much about Ohio state, but you just have to know that urban Meyer thought that this was an okay behavior, pulled it off in, uh, in the professional league and it cost him his job. And I've heard low key that urban Meyer's about to get another job. Um, relatively soon and i don't know i don't know how anyone can uh hire urban meyer after that there would be no way i would allow him um in a 10 mile radius of my college campus or my football program in general yeah no i i totally agree it's so crazy that he's even being considered at this point after what's come out and i mean you think about the fact like you alluded to where like he's doing this stuff to grown adults now. And we know that, but then think about what he was doing in college to these kids. And it's like, dude is, yeah. I mean, some of this stuff is just ridiculous. Yeah. You think about the story about him kicking the kicker uh, that they had, like physically assaulting him. Yeah. And then when uh, he took issue with it, he was like, I can kick you whenever I want. And I'm like, bro, that is not, that's not okay in an adult situation, but that's sure as hell not okay with college kids either. Um, but he's clearly, like you said, I mean, the fact that he thought that that behavior was okay in the NFL shows you, he thought it was okay with those kids, like it, just absurd, but 
Yeah. All right. And for our final section today, we can go ahead and recap some more of what's happened in the NBA playoffs. Uh, starting with the Western Conference, the Suns versus the Mavericks are tied 3-3 to right now, uh, going to Game 7 uh, on Sunday there. And, yeah, I mean, this has been a heck of a series. I, I think we expected it to go to 7. Um, I think I obviously viewed the Mavericks as a much worse team, but they've really showed up and made it look really competitive. And honestly, I don't know if the Suns win it at this point. I think it could go either way. Um, they've really come in and played well, and the Suns have had a couple off games during the series. Um, and Chris Paul has started to lose some of his steam as well. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. Um, yeah, I I, I kind of – I don't know. I thought. I guess I thought that the Suns were gonna close it out. Um, but yeah, I mean, one, the first thing that I want to point out about this series is it really has unearthed like the next great NBA rivalry, which is gonna be Devin Booker and Luca, because yeah. the way yeah. the, those two are going at each other is is amazing. I love to see that shit. Like literally, this series right here, like. This is why people should watch the NBA playoffs right now because you're getting to see two of the young greats. Like, these guys are going to be Hall of Famers eventually. Like, battle it out, duke it out in in the playoffs. Like, there's just literally nothing better than a game seven like that um, yeah. between two young, two young goats between D-Book and Luka. Um, but, yeah, dude, I can't lie. I do think the Mavericks are going to take it. Um, they're just – they're playing out of their minds. They're they're real hot, and I don't, I think Luca finally finally gets to go on to the next uh, to the next uh, round. Yeah, I I have to agree with you, and I, I hate to say that because honestly, after the Nuggets got eliminated, my sons or the sons were kind of my uh, like West team that I was rooting for, um, and then they immediately might get a taken down here but I, i'm just really surprised by the sun's inability to close them out but i mean like you mentioned the mavericks are just playing out of their mind luca is playing out of his mind and uh like we talked about initially with our predictions for the series whenever luca's in a series you have a chance um and that's been shown uh very much so so far in this series so uh very excited to watch that game seven coming up on sunday tomorrow and yeah, we'll have to see how that one ends. Uh, but the Grizzlies versus the Warriors series did already end with the Warriors winning it 4-2. to two. Uh, The Grizzlies really did put up a good fight. Uh, won one of their games with Jaw, and then he got injured. Uh, and once we realized he was going to be injured for uh, not only the rest of the series, but likely the rest of the playoffs, even if they had moved on, um, yeah, you kind of knew it was uh, over, but they were at least able to uh, get another win and not only get another win, but blow out the Warriors um, coming off of Jaws injury. And I was very surprised by that. Uh, I didn't think it necessarily changed their fortunes for the series, which ended up being true, but um, it was very impressive to see them uh, battle it out like that. And uh, it's interesting when you talk about that narrative that some people hold of the um, Grizzlies performing better without jaw, obviously then you see them fall in the next game, but um, you know, they, they certainly held their own without jaw uh, for one game against a very, very strong Warriors team. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that I I was for the jaw 
Morant narrative that like they're the Grizz are better without him. Um, when they blew out the Warriors in that game, I was like, "Fuck!" Just like we literally said on the podcast, like, "Dang, they're gonna, they're gonna." Here it goes. Like they're gonna start talking about Jaw, Jaw not being as important, blah blah blah, uh, diminishing him. Um, but the thing about it is, then right after that, they dropped. They dropped the elimination game, which, yeah. you know, I can't say that they would have necessarily not got eliminated with job. But the thing about it is he is the most talented player on the team. Um, so I, I just I, I almost want to say they just need to learn how to um, just work better with him. Like the, every mm-hmm. everyone on the team just can work better with him and including himself. He can work better with the team because obviously there's. There's a disconnect there, and I'm not sure what it is, um, but, uh, yeah, regardless, nonetheless, they put up a hell of a fight. They made it an, an entertaining series, and um, it's just unfortunate the fucking Warriors are moving on. So, Agreed. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, um, you know, if it's going to be the Mavericks that move on, hopefully the Mavericks can, um, can take care of it because, yeah. Yeah, I'd really rather not see the Warriors win another finals. That'd be fantastic. But, uh, yeah, I also really want to see that Suns versus Warriors series because I think that that's one that people have been expecting for the conference finals um, since really the beginning of the season as they've kind of broken out into uh, pretty much like the two best teams in the league uh, for a good chunk there in the regular season. Um, And both have been very strong the entire season. But then obviously the Warriors getting clay back later on. Um, yeah, that's just one of those storylines. Um, but yeah, I mean, either way, I hope that uh, somebody beats them because stop. Um, <laughs> stop. And, and to kind of get on that Jaw uh, narrative too, is like, it's a fun narrative or whatever, and people will point that out. But yeah, I mean, obviously, he's the best player on that team. It's not that they're better without him, but I do think that um, – for me, he falls into the category of like a Russell uh, Westbrook where at times he can focus too much on his own game and focus on getting his own looks um, and not being efficient both time-wise, but then just like shot-wise and shot choice-wise and things like that. Um, And I think that that's part of his game. So you deal with it. But uh, like you mentioned, I think what's really going to take their team into the upper echelon is if he can learn to um, fit his game into everybody else's more and utilize them and be more efficient with what he's doing um, and still have the explosiveness and still have those fun plays that we know him for. Um, I think that's going to be the key to this team moving forward, personally speaking, Uh, because I do think that at some point there's a wall, kind of like how you look at Russell Westbrook's career in the playoffs there's a wall that you hit when you're not playing cohesive, unselfish basketball Um, at some point in the playoffs, that's going to come back to haunt you because there's just such a small margin for error that those top, top teams that end up competing have to be a well-oiled machine, at least relatively um, and be working with each other and not against each other. And I do think that that's part of the reason why that narrative exists for jaw is because his game is uh, similar to Russell Westbrook's in that way. Yeah, and I think that's an excellent point. You know, like both those players, Russ and, um, you know, John Morant, both both have like an individual 
aspect to their game. Um, but yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with you. The other thing I want to say too about the Grizz before I move on is um, I think Desmond Bain is a rising star, dude. Like I think yeah. he is. I think he's a good player, bro. Like, and obviously, like you know, he's been a good player. And if you're a Memphis Grizzlies fan, you're listening to this. Um, you're like, of course he is. But first and foremost, if you're a Memphis Grizzlies fan and you're listening to this podcast, that's awesome because I don't know how you got to it. But um, secondly, um, yeah, just this is like the first real time like I've seen him in like national spotlight, and maybe I've seen him play before, but definitely didn't catch my eye the way he has in this series. And yeah, dude, he balled out and yeah, they're a good young team with a young core and they have a good young leader in John Moran. I'm just hoping they can come back strong next year and um, hopefully take out the Warriors because they failed me this year. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely going to be interesting to see how they develop going forward. They've got a very good young core of players, um, and definitely one of the rising teams in the league that just need to uh, learn a little bit more and figure it out with each other. And they're going to be right in the thick of it. Um, and then, so moving on to the Eastern conference here, uh, got to move on to a very sad one for me, uh, the 76ers versus the heat, the heat winning four to two. Um, yeah, I have, I have many thoughts. So, okay. For me, like, as a Sixers fan, I I am not a fan of the style of basketball that the Sixers have been playing anyways with James Harden um, and a lot more of that kind of like flopping to get foul opportunities and free throw opportunities. And I think that that came back to very much bite them uh, in this series because for, well, for a couple of reasons, number one, outside of uh, a couple games where Harden did show up and he had uh, that one game without Joel that, or actually no, it was with Joel, but he carried um, and had like 30 some points or something. Um, he, Harden did not show up. He didn't put the effort in. He didn't make the hustle plays. Um, he did his thing in terms of playmaking, um, but he was just not enough. Uh, especially when you talk about Embiid being injured, that's the time when you need the other superstar to show up and to carry and, we all know that he's capable of that, but he's he, the effort was not put in, and that was very clear. Um, and I think, that, I mean, you've seen that at different spots in his career. Um, go back to Brooklyn and go back to Houston. And um, I mean, he's done the same thing. He's like when he's not interested or he's not in it, he will just kind of chill. Um, and that's the vibe I got from him. Uh, I, I, I've just, ever since the Harden pickup, I've not been a fan of that. Um, I do think he's been a boon for Tyrese Maxey. Um, and I like, am very grateful for that in the sense that his progression has like skyrocketed since Harden has gotten here. So I think he's been very good for Maxey. Um, but yeah, I, I thought he was awful in this series. Doc Rivers should have been fired two years ago. That's just like no conversation. And he's still not going to be fired. Uh, I think they came out after this game and said he's coming back next year. So, I mean, no words even need to be said because uh, I think he's – I talk about Harden, but Doc Rivers is the primary reason. Uh, when you see your players out there not playing with passion and not playing with effort, and, I mean, there was multiple plays, and you can look up clips on Twitter of the Heat just, like, out-efforting the Sixers over and over and over again, and that's been a theme with Doc Rivers' teams because he doesn't get them to buy in. 
Um, and I think that's part of the reason why he doesn't get to that next level of coach. Um, and he keeps, you know, he has that 09 championship that uh, it falls back on and he's a championship coach, but at every stop of his career, I think this has been the exact same thing. Um, so waiting for him to get fired and yeah, I mean, congratulations to the heat. They're a good team. Um, I think like, I, I'm a huge fan of Jimmy Butler. And so I'm glad for him. And I hope that uh, since it isn't the Sixers year and it isn't the Nuggets year, um, if it's not like the Suns, uh, I would like to see the Heat take it to the championship just for Jimmy Butler's sake. Um, I think that it would be awesome to see him finally get a championship uh, over there with the Heat uh, and finally a team that embraced him and his play style. Um, So, yeah, I mean, good for them. As a Sixers fan, I'm just kind of tired of the same thing happening every year. Um, but it is what it is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I do obviously, you know, want to extend my apologies to you and the Philadelphia 76ers fans for uh, getting getting kicked out of the playoffs. But um, it was a good run. Obviously, yeah, like you said, James Harden didn't step up. Maybe he's just at the phase in his career where, like, I would say before – when he was in Houston and he was the man, maybe he was at the obviously he was in the prime of his career and he can really take on the burden of everything. And I think just by his name and the occasional performances where he does kind of take over, he's um kind of led us on to believe that he still is the number one superstar on the team. But um I think it just goes to show that he really is like more of a number two uh, superstar on the team. Um, even the, like, depending on how you look at it, a number three superstar on the team um, mm-hmm. in regards to what he is capable of doing in regards to taking over and changing the fortune of a game, you know, because, um, and we'll talk about this in just a second, but uh, Jason Tatum literally took over and forced a game seven, you know, yeah. so you have moments where um, those are just the defining moments in players' careers, you know, and this is another one, uh, unfortunately, on the bad end for James Harden, where they're going to look at this and say, look at the effort from Joel Embiid, look at the effort from Tyrese Maxey. Um, And I'm not, I I don't know if it's a lack of effort or a a lack of effectiveness or a lack of both or um, just, I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes James Harden is, so frustrating um and this is one of those times um where he's extremely frustrating and i'm sorry it had to be at the expense of the 76ers this time so um but yeah just like you said um glad to see jimmy butler move on uh love jimmy uh love this heat team love bam love tyler hero um and i mean dude it just makes me kind of think that kyle lowry is like one of those guys that like you have him on your team and you're like automatically going to do better and like almost want to chip every, every single year because you got Kyle Lowry on your team. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm just excited. Honestly, I, of the remaining series that can come, uh, the two East series to me are going to be, whether it's the Bucks or the Celtics, the, the two East series um, against the heat are going to be fire. Just yeah, great fire. That Boston, I'm personally rooting for uh, a Boston series against the Heat. Yeah. But, um, you know, like I said, you know, some superstars are able to pick their team up and carry them. 
Giannis has done that before. Um, so, yeah, we're just going to have to see. Totally agree. I totally agree with all the points you made. Thank you for your condolences to me and the 76ers fans. I, the 76ers are one of those teams where, like, after every season, you're like, man, am I really a fan of this team? But And then you just come back every single year. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah. But uh, that Celtics versus Bucks series, we can move on there. And um, that is tied 3-3, as you alluded to. Uh, Jason Tatum forcing a game seven, taking over the game. And I, I, yeah, I mean, this has just been a fantastic series. We expected it to be a fantastic series. The one that we were looking forward to the most, um, both Giannis and Jason Tatum have shown up. The Celtics have really, really put the effort in. Um, I would be fine with either team winning this one, but I got to go with the Celtics in my opinion, even though Giannis, like you said, has that past of uh, being able to carry this Bucks team all the way to the finals on his back. Uh, and he's even shown that ability in this series too. So, I mean, yeah, like we said, it goes either way, but the Celtics just look like such a force and such a complete team. Um, I think that they pull it out in the end. Yeah, I mean, I, I hate to root against Giannis because I love him as a man and I love him as a player so much. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I am unfortunately having to root against Giannis because I just want to see that matchup between the Heat and the Celtics so bad because, um, right. like, equally built, super strong teams. Like they got cores. Um, you know, like it just I love I love what both of these teams have right now as far as players, um, as far as momentum, as far as matchup wise. I just think that like that is like Suns and Warriors is real nice. Um, as far as like matchup wise, because I, I I love to see D Buck play against Steph and Clay and all those guys and CP3 and DeAndre Anton and all those guys, but um, it's just like Jimmy Butler, Jason Tatum, Bam Adebayo, Marcus Smart. Like there's just so many guys that when you really start to see all of them on the court together like the Boston Celtics are playing team ball. Uh, they know how to move the ball around. They know when, you know, when to leave the hot hand going. Um, Jason Tatum's a superstar. And then on the other hand, you have Jimmy Butler and the Heat that do the same things very, very well, you know. And, um, you know, obviously you got Bam playing um, incredible defense like he always does. Um, Tyler Hero, whenever he's able to, you know, be consistent and, you know, get some uh, – get scoring – coming off the bench he usually does it so yeah i just i'm hoping i'm hoping that we can finally get the celtics and um um the celtics and the heat but we'll we'll see for sure i totally agree with you um and i mean on that note we can actually go ahead and move over to our predictions and obviously we're still waiting on a couple of those series to end so uh with that we're going to give predictions on the four possible series that we might see um, we could start off with the Western Conference again. So Warriors versus Suns. For me, I think this goes Warriors in seven. Um, I was going back and forth on this one because I viewed the Suns as a better team. Um, they were better in the regular season. Uh, but in the playoffs, they've been a little bit shakier than I would have hoped. And I, I think that I would have liked them to be able to put away the teams that they faced a little bit uh, more decisively. 
than they have or might even not if they don't finish off the Mavericks. Um, so with that, I do think that obviously it's still going to be a good series, but I think the playoff experience of the Warriors uh, is going to pull it out in that case, and uh, the Warriors will take it. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I'm definitely going to have to agree with you. Uh, definitely not been as um, as dominant as I expected them to be. Um, like they just they're just not really passing the eye test for me. Yeah, um, and certain like they had, they struggled against the Pelicans. They struggled against the Mavericks. Um, these just aren't struggles that you are expecting to see from, you know, like from the Suns. We, they, they were dominant last year, dominant during the regular season. Um, just a very skilled team altogether. And, uh, I'm not necessarily sure what it is in regards to, um, why they are seeming to have a problem sealing some of these games off. Um, I want to say maybe it has to do with, um, Chris Ball being cursed for some reason. Um, right. but I, I, yeah, it's, it's hard for me to see the Suns getting past, uh, the Warriors. Um, and even more so, it's harder for me to see the Warrior or the Mavericks getting past the Warriors. Um, if that ends up being the matchup as well. So, um, yeah, you know, on our, um, our sheet here, we got, you know, Warriors and seven, uh, if they got to play the Suns and then Warriors and six. If they got to play the Mavs, and I almost want to say Warriors and six, regardless, because uh, although I do think the Suns can put up more of a fight, I just think the Warriors are that good, and I think the Warriors are just gonna keep, keep, uh, keep spinning that fire, keep, keep, keep playing as hot as they've been, and you know, I, I, I think the Warriors more so are gonna want to come out and really try to dominate the series to put an emphasis and to, you know, get even more on fire um, right before the finals. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with the points you made. And um, yeah, I mean, I just, I think at this point you can almost pen, well, I don't want to say pencil in the Warriors, but I'd really do view them as the best remaining team. Um, and I invite the Suns or the Mavericks to prove us wrong on that. I think the Mavericks have put a heck of a run up, but uh, I think against the Warriors is going to be a different story. Uh, but I also thought that against the Suns, to be completely honest with you, and uh, they've put up what they put up um, there. I mean, I did expect it to be competitive, but like we were talking about, the Suns have just not been that dominant force that we expected. Um, and I think the Warriors have shown that more so, especially in these playoffs. Um, having decisive victories against both Denver and holding off Memphis. Um, and yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I don't see a world where uh, the Warriors aren't in the finals, unfortunately, but um, we'll just have to see how that ends up going. And then on the Eastern conference side. Uh, so our first potential matchup is going to be the heat versus the Celtics. The one that we're both hoping happens. Um, and you know, I personally take Celtics in seven in this I think it's going to be a good matchup. And like you mentioned, both Heat and Celtics are well-built teams, have defined roles for their guys, and they play well together, uh, especially the Celtics recently have really come together and um, took a while for them to find that cohesion, but they finally have it, uh, and they look really freaking good. Um, and so I, I think that it will be a competitive series, and as much as I want the Heat to win personally, um, I do think the Celtics would take that in seven. Yeah, um, I'm. I don't know. 
I could see a world where the Heat win. Um, I yeah. think I think it'll probably be the Celtics just because to me, like, I don't know, since I saw um, the Celtics live, I guess I've just been, like, in love with Jason Tatum. So I think Jason Tatum is going to um, just – I, I think he's going to will his team past Giannis. I think he's going to will his team past Jimmy Butler probably. Um, but if there's anyone that can match his will and match his uh, passion, it's going to be Jimmy. So it's going to be a game for sure. I think it's for sure seven-game series. Don't see anyone getting it done before then. Um, yeah, I just – I think Boston is is – a Boston Warriors finals just sounds, sounds classic. Um Sounds sounds like uh, the perfect matchup, you know, and it, honestly, it sounds like the perfect amount of firepower to go against the Warriors because I, I really do feel like sometimes that's where the Warriors like eke out. And that's why, I, like, I put them past the Suns is like if you dial in on Devin Booker or CP3, then you're pretty much relying on DeAndre Anton to beat you. But with the Warriors, you dial in on Steph, then they have Clay. If you dial in on Clay, they have Steph. And then if you dial in on both those guys, they have Draymond. And now they have Jordan Poole. And now, now they have Andrew Wiggins and blah, 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 blah. So yeah. um, I just think the Celtics probably matched out the best, um, you know, defensive-wise, um, player-wise. So, yeah, I, I think um, I think that's what I would like to see is the Celtics get past the Heat. Um, but yeah, and then I see that we got if if it's the Heat and the Bucks, you got you got the Bucks taking that still, huh? Yeah, I I think that could go either way because to your point with the uh, Heat, I do think that they're a better overall put together team um, than the Bucks are. But then you talk about. Giannis and that takeover ability and I think that that's where that would show up uh there kind of like it did in Heat versus Bucks series a couple years ago um I like I just think that he has that extra gear that he can get into um that Jimmy Butler has to an extent but uh not the same way that Giannis does yeah I I I definitely agree uh Giannis really does it will and the, the difference too is Giannis as well like seven foot like Giannis is just such a giant giant man that when he takes over physically he's like he's hard to stop um and like skill wise he's just getting better and better every year um and like I don't know for some reason I feel like when Jimmy Butler has to take over for the heat like it's because like everything is going bad for the heat like no one like Tyler Hero's not shooting threes good you know other guys just aren't getting open looks like it's just it's a rough time altogether and that's when Jimmy has to take over I feel like when Giannis has to take over like things are usually going really good for the Bucks. you know like everyone is usually playing um you know very well complimentary basketball but Giannis is just excelling in every aspect of basketball at that point um yeah um I, I don't uh, I don't have any problem with it either. I, I do think regardless of who wins out of the Bucks and the Celtics, um, the Heat are probably going to take them to seven games. And that's just based off of a, the Miami Heat being a tough team. Um, and, yeah. But, I mean, if the Heat make it past 
Boston, I'd be cool with that too. Either way, I think I'm cool with whatever team makes out of the East. I'm cool with um, because I think I know the fate of the West, and I'm gonna be rooting for the East in the finals. So, yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you there. And I mean, kind of from that perspective, as much as I want the Heat to go to the finals because I like Jimmy Butler and all that, I I almost think that like you were talking about with that matchup that the Celtics would probably be the best one to send from the Eastern conference because they have a real chance of beating those Warriors uh, with their depth and their defense. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would certainly be interested. I mean, I'm not going to be mad at it either way. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, uh, we'll just have to see what happens in, in those series and who ends up closing out who and um yeah, I, these playoffs have been absurd so far. Obviously, I'm not overly happy that both of my teams are now gone. Um, but, you know, as is the life of a fan, and um, there's still plenty of amazing basketball to be played. And whoever ends up in these finals, I mean, it's going to be absolute fire. So um, I think that's going to pretty much do it for us here. But before I close out, I just wanted to say thank you again to Gene for coming on the show today. Uh, I hope that you guys enjoyed that interview with him as much as we enjoyed doing it with him. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, check him out at uh, his website at nextstagepress.com. And uh, yeah, I mean, thanks again to him for his time. And uh, if there's anything you want to say as well, Enrique. Uh, Yeah. Just once again, thank you to Gene for stopping by the show and giving us good conversation about the Texans. Um, And yeah, thank you everyone else for listening and, you know, your continued support. We appreciate it for sure. Absolutely. So on that note, thank you everyone for listening. This has been the Mile High Flight Show and we'll see you guys next week.